Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. And a very good morning to you. This is Mick Mulcahy in for Neil Prendeville. The Irish Examiner this morning leads with housing for all, reliance on firms criticised. Measures required to attract 27,500 builders are absent from the plan. The government's 20 billion euro plan to solve the housing crisis has been criticised for relying on meaningless figures for private sector development and a failure to introduce measures to attract the 27,500 workers needed to deliver it. So says the Irish Examiner. Coveney's statement on controversy backfires. Also says the, that paper, Daniel McConnell, their political editor, saying that Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Coveney's latest attempt to quash the Catherine Zappone controversy has backfired with fresh questions arising over his statement to an Oireachtas committee. His three-page statement to the Foreign Affairs Committee seeking to explain the circumstances of the Zappone appointment and the hacking of his phone in 2020 failed to kill off the five-week-old controversy. I believe he's going before committee next Tuesday in what will be a very busy week for him uh, as chairing the uh, United Nations uh, meetings as well. So it's going to be a busy time for Simon Coveney. The... Uh, uh, the, I suppose the melodrama trundles on is all we can say. Makes the front page of the Echo as well. Zapone melodrama is the actual headline. Martin brushes off criticism of Coveney. The Taoiseach has said there had been melodrama and overdramatics in the reaction to the Catherine Zapone controversy. Michal Martin has brushed off suggestions that Tornish de Leo Varadkar and Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Coveney should resign over the affair amid uh, claims it was overshadowing the work of government. He said it was not comparable to the controversy that saw former Fianna Fáil Agriculture Minister Barry Cowan sacked last year. Minister Coveney has already written to the Chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee saying he wants to go before them again to fully address any issue that's uh, that's still arising. I believe that will happen next Tuesday. Uh, I'm very clear about this. I think there's a bit of melodrama and overdramatics about the whole thing. And after reading from his speech at the time of uh, Mr Cowan's dismissal, the Taoiseach said the difference was that the former minister was not prepared to address the allegations publicly. The Irish Daily Mail has ABBA. Yes, ABBA on the front page. And who is number one and number two in the Spotify global streaming list? It is ABBA. 40 years after they cut their last record, they're back. And they're back with a stunning cyber show and a brand new album. Uh, so look who's Bjorn again is the uh, main headline. And the uh, elderly looking ABBA are pictured on page uh, two and three. They uh, had to wear sensors to uh, get the uh, the dramatic effects that were needed to uh, reduce their age and make them young looking again for what will be uh, kind of a virtual show. It's going to be happening kind of non-stop in London. But it's classic ABBA. Thank you for the new music. Mamma Mia, here they go again. Uh, and it's all that kind of thing. So uh, there's a lot of reminiscing. And uh, Agoneta and Anifred have had their faces digitally copied and ready for their new stage avatars. And I'm sure you'll be hearing a lot more about that uh, as the debut approaches. Uh, Marion Gate melodrama is the main headline, though, on the front page, sharing with ABBA of the Irish Daily Mail. Techy Taoiseach defends Varankar and Coveney over Zappone. Michal Martin dismissed the Catherine Zappone controversy as melodrama and overdramatics yesterday. The Taoiseach's tetchy comments came as the Marion Gate scandal continued to hound the coalition and indeed overshadowed the uh, government's housing for all plan. Inside the uh, Daily Mail, uh, we just spoke about this yesterday, actually their waiting lists for driving tests has topped 105 
5,000. Lisa O'Donnell reporting that more than 105,000 people are now waiting to sit a driving test, prompting renewed calls for extra testers to be hired to clear the backlog. At the height of the pandemic, only essential workers were prioritised for tests, leaving many drivers facing months of delays. The RSA, the Road Safety Authority, said yesterday there are 8,241 people scheduled to sit their test in the coming weeks. A further 68,986 people are on the waiting list. And separately, there are 28,640 who are not currently eligible to sit their test, usually due to uh, due to having to complete their essential driver training uh, or have held their learner perm- permit for less than six months. Wouldn't that... I think it's a silly thing, that six-month thing. Couldn't that be relaxed in these... Uh, Trying times until we can clear the backlog. The Irish Independent has uh, its uh, as its main picture uh, a lovely photograph of uh, John and Pat Hume. Pat Hume has died at the age of 83 and has been remembered as the guiding light behind her late husband, the peace activist and Nobel laureate John Hume. She was at home when he travelled. She looked after his constitu- constituency office when he travelled, and he travelled a lot. And she was the voice of reason um, to all of his uh, constituency affairs as well while he was away. There were tributes from President Michael D. Higgins, Hillary Clinton, and figures on all sides of the peace process who said she never gave up, even in the North's darkest days. And uh, more than most, the peace process is being attributed to her presence and her gentle touch. May she rest in peace. Uh, record leaving cert grades to tighten race for college places is the front page of the Irish Independent. Results are showing an average inflation of 2.6%. The record leaving cert grades are set to drive up points, however, for college entry when CAO offers are made next week. Once again, Coveney facing further questions on Zappone Envoy or Envoy uh, appointment also makes the front page of the Independent. Let's go to the Red Tops. The ref was afraid of Ronaldo is on the uh, top right-hand corner of the Irish Daily Star. And the main headline is 31 million euro lotto winner found dead. Margaret, just 57, dies following years of hell after her win. The Irish Daily Mirror has uh, 31 million lotto winner found dead. Almost the same headline. Cartel Kingpin caged, says the uh, Irish Sun. Keating tracked Mago in Hitbit. A Kinahan cartel Kingpin was caged for 11 years yesterday for his tracking role in the plot to murder Hutch Goon James Mago Gately. Patrick Keating, who's 40, is the last remaining member of the cartel's leadership in Ireland to be banged up. To the Irish Times we go and pledge to spend 20 billion over the next five years to tackle the housing crisis. And the main picture there uh, is uh, the Taoiseach Michal Martin, Tónis Dilio Varadkar, Minister for the Environment, Damon Ryan, and Minister for Housing, Dara O'Brien, at the launch of the Housing for All, a new housing plan for Ireland. We hope to discuss the same uh, in about an hour's time uh, with the Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath. Pledged to spend the £20 billion over the next five years. Has, of course, come in for opposition criticism. It's an ambitious plan to solve the social emergency unveiled, uh, not the social emergency unveiled, but the plan unveiled by the government. Homeless Charities and Construction Industry Federation welcome the strategy. But who is going to do the work? Uh, that's what we'll be asking Michael McGrath in an hour's time. Coveney text deletions breached the FOI Act, says Howland. Minister for Foreign Affairs Simon Coveney has breached the Freedom of Information Act by deleting texts relating to his official duties according to the architect of the legislation. Labour TD Brendan Howland was responsible when Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform for a major uh, reform of the Act 
in 2014 that widened its scope and made specific provisions to make electronic devices such as mobile phones and non-official systems such as Gmail if they related to the official function of the office uh, and the office holder uh, amenable under the Act. So Mr Howland said text exchanges between Mr Coveney, Tonish Delia Varadkar and former Minister Catherine Zappone related to the public roles of the ministers and were subject to the FOI Act. Uh, a Minister for Foreign Affairs phone getting hacked. That is just incredible. Um, and I'm not sure why it hasn't come to the fore before now. Um, but uh, if somebody has the Minister for Foreign Affairs phone and the details and access, access to it, couldn't they notionally, on our behalf, declare war, for instance, on Germany? Something like that. Just beggar's belief. Uh, the Times uh, has uh, Javid calls for 2% tax rise to the social care. That's Sajid Javid, the health secretary in the UK. Afghan refugees to be taught about British values and culture. And, of course, uh, it being an international story, ABBA. Here they go again, ABBA reforming after 40 years. If we get time, we may stick in one of the ABBA songs before the end of the programme. Fans said, gimme, gimme, gimme. Uh, and last night, after 40 years, ABBA finally obliged. I wonder, though, is it all about the money, money, money? The Neil Prenderville Show. And we will get to uh, some of the uh, other stories in the papers as we get through the day and some text as well that we didn't get to yesterday uh, that I will get to too. But for now, if you want to give us a call, one eight five zero one zero four one zero six. you can text, you can WhatsApp us on 086-8104-106. And just a quick mention, because it is our Free Food Friday, we have Oak Fire Pizza on the Neil Prenderville Show today. Of course, every Friday we do it. Have pizza delivered at home or to your workplace with Oak Fire Pizza. It's real wood fire pizza in Kilty, Bandon, Princess Street, Galabi Street and Douglas Village. And we'll give you more details on that as the programme proceeds. Good morning from the Neil Prandival Show. This is Mick Mulcahy and we're here, here, H-A-I-R, to inspire Cork's listening public now with a Cork woman sharing her empowering alopecia journey with us after losing nearly 80% of her hair. Good morning to Chloe Sheehan. Good morning, Chloe. Good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm very good. Now, as a follically challenged person, uh, of course, it did when, when it was falling out uh, take a great deal of uh, trepidation my way. But um, I don't think, and I'm not being sexist here, I don't think it's as bad for a man as it is for a woman. Would I be right? Oh, it depends. I, I suppose, you know, um, the way beauty standards go at the moment, you know, there's an awful lot expected of women, you know, to have good hair, nice makeup, you know, good time, you know, the whole lot. Mm-hmm. So I suppose it is very difficult and challenging for a woman to lose that part of her identity. My hair started falling out um, about four years ago. I noticed a little small patch in the back of my head that my hairdresser found. And I went on to the GP and the dermatologist and I then got diagnosed with something called alopecia areata. There is loads of forms of alopecia and there's loads of forms of hair loss. You know, postpartum hair loss, male pattern, baldness, mm. telogen effluvium from stress and there's multiple different types of alopecia. But this month, September, is actually Alopecia Awareness Month. So I think it's important to let people know a little bit more about alopecia and about hair loss in general. Okay, now you're in the procurement business, so you're kind of office-based, or would have been until the pandemic. Were you worried at the start about how people would perceive you, about how the people in the office would see, uh, or what they'd think about your hair loss? Well, I did the the beauty of, you know, living in the world we live in, I have some fantastic wigs, and Mick, if you passed me on the street 
you'd almost go and compliment my hair. You honestly wouldn't have a clue. But before all that, I, you know, I didn't have a wig when it first fell out and I couldn't leave the house. You know, it was it was very, very challenging until I went and I got a wig and I, it gave me that, that crutch and that freedom. And four years down the line from finding my first patch, I am still in a wig, but I have little bits of regrowth. I lost my eyelashes at one point, my eyebrows at another point. They've all gone back, thank God. Um, and I, I suppose it's just, it was important for me to always have hope. And it's important for me to show other people that there's hope. Now, I, I still have to wear a wig and I still have a huge amount of balding on my head, but it's something that I've learned to cope with physically by looking at myself and something that I've learned to cope with mentally by doing an awful lot of internal work on myself. You know, I mean, it wasn't easy. It was a very, very dark time in my life. Um, but, you know, my biggest thing is that I had nowhere to turn. I went to all these doctors and counsellors and everything and everyone told me, oh my God, it's so tough. You're a young girl in her 20s, you know. Mm. But nobody could understand truly what I was going through. So when I came to terms with the situation that I was now going to have to live with, I started an Instagram page, Chloe's Hair Fair, and it's just like a little safe place that people can come and they can get some information, you know, that's not biased. They can get, you know, someone to talk to and someone who's going to say, you know what, I know how you feel. Often I get people... You know, they write to me and they say, oh, my God, it's awful. Like, how do I do this? And, you know, I'm trying to, you know, forget about it. And I always say to them, no, no, it is awful. It is really awful. And it's okay to say that. And it's okay to acknowledge the bad, traumatic time that you're going through. That's important, too. That's all part of the process. But with it being Alopecia Awareness Month, I just want to because it's so common and I can guarantee your neighbours and your friends there's sufferers out there that you just don't know about and I just want people to be a little bit more aware of what it is you know what it does to people and sure you know they say you know you never know what's going on in people's lives and that's a big thing with alopecia because you'll never know to someone's face if they're going through it if they're covered in a lovely long wig, you know. Yes, indeed. And and look, alopecia areata is an autoimmune disorder. Nobody really knows what causes it, but they do know what it results in, and that's unpredictable and patchy hair loss. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like the the thing is, there is no cure for alopecia. There's loads of people write to me and they say, I have a cure, I have a cure. There is no cure for alopecia. Um, if there was, it'd be on the front of Time magazine because there's so many people suffering. But like one thing I will say is that there's no cure because it's not seen as a life-threatening disease. But in my opinion, it is a life-threatening disease. It, it can spin anyone in their happy life into the depths of depression Um and I only mentioned this yesterday, but unfortunately, I've I've known two people that I've lost to suicide um, over the situation. So to me, having alopecia, it is life threatening. You know, it's a huge shock to the system and it's a huge impending thing on your mental health. And I don't see why there's not more research goes into it. But I do think that we're moving in the right direction because more people like myself are speaking out about it and speaking out about the mental health effects that it has. And I think it's bringing more attention to it. 
I'm looking at some of the pictures that you've sent us and that were reported in some of the press as well. Uh, you certainly are. Don't know if you're wearing a wig or not. And certainly in the in the one of the back of your head, uh, that's looking at the hair loss itself. There are two other pictures in which you're wearing your hair to the side, uh, and it looks as though the side is shaved. And you are, if I may say so, wearing it with a certain degree of confidence and smiling and looking <laughs> very very positive. Yeah. Do you know what? I just I. It was a good thing I think I got so depressed from it because I really lived through the trauma of it and I couldn't, I wasn't pushing it down and pushing it down and it couldn't get any worse from there. Things only had to get better. And I just decided one day, you know what, I'm going to turn this into a good thing. If, you know, I, I could have really done with someone to talk to who understands or even flicking through Instagram and see a bald patch or see a good wig or and I said right I'm been given this really unfortunate situation and I'm going to make some good of it and it has just brought this whole positive community together and it's just been absolutely phenomenal and I've just learned over the years that it's actually nothing that I should be ashamed of at one point I was ashamed of it but it's it's not my fault you know just because you have hair or you don't have hair does not define whether you're beautiful or not, you know. So it's important for me to try and make people who are suffering from any form of hair loss to feel empowered and to feel beautiful and just to let them know that they're not alone, basically. Mm. An interesting element of, of what you were reported to have said in the press is that you, on a timing basis, uh, suspect that it may have started with a smear test, which would seemed to me to be unrelated, but you had uh, multiple cervical tests and procedures and treatments, and this seemed to coincide with the beginning of the hair loss. Do you still believe that? Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, no medical professional will ever, you know, tell you that, but I, I do think everybody who suffers from some form of alopecia will always boil it down to a self-diagnosis of some point in their life. My time frames were were very, very close when I was going through all that and that's what I put it down to because although I wasn't stressed and I was fine and positive about going through this ordeal, I think my body was under an awful lot of stress and I think my body was trying to kind of let it out and was taking in all the trauma of going through all this and eventually it was just like, hang on here a second, you know, and then, then my hair just began to fall but I got it all clear um, a couple of months ago and I've had plenty of regrowth since so I think it's a mind body you know sort of an experience and that's just my personal diagnosis Brilliant and I want to really salute your journey from hiding your alopecia to being absolutely open about it and now publicising your alopecia for, for the greater good. And, and that all started, I suppose. You were on a skiing trip and uh, you began to be open about your condition and then you started your Instagram page, which is at Chloe's Hair Affair. That's a tongue twister. At Chloe's Hair Affair to uh, help spread awareness of alopecia. So you really are passionate about redefining society's strict beauty standards and their, uh, I suppose, the, the way that they look at people with alopecia. Oh, a hundred percent. I'm. I have an Instagram page now, just over a year, and to say I'm on a mission is an understatement. I want everyone to, you know, feel beautiful, feel good about themselves, no matter what their difference is. And I wanted to create a safe space for people who 
know that they can come to me and they know that I'll understand them and I'll always be there just, and just at the other end of a message. And that was important for me because that's something that I wish I had and I didn't. So I think that alone will change a lot for people, hopefully. Okay. Uh, did you ever hear, I, I heard many years ago doing this programme for so many years, um, that a cure for alopecia, or certainly a treatment for alopecia, was developed by Mick Moriarty, the Baldy Barber, and that he was treating, of all people, Princess Diana. Did you ever hear that story? Yeah, I, I actually tried that um, serum. My aunt had actually purchased it for me, and I had used it. I, I used it for about a year. It didn't It didn't make any hair grow, um, but it did keep my scalp in good condition. Fantastic. Um, it's, it's a nice mixture of castor oil and stuff. So my scalp, my scalp was in nice nice soft condition after it. Fantastic. Okay, so you're asking now through your Instagram post and on your Instagram page, I suppose, that everybody should do their little bit in bringing awareness about alopecia to everybody. So that's really every like, every save, every comment, every share. Means the world, yeah. Yeah. And how can people uh, access that? Just go onto your own Instagram page and forward some links from there? Yeah, I mean, just even even someone going on and looking at the Instagram page, a friend of a friend of a friend of a sister might have alopecia and it might guide the right person in the right direction. It's all about word of mouth and, you know, just kind of spreading out a bit, spreading some awareness. And with it being Alopecia Awareness Month, I'm just really trying to hype that up and try and reach as many people that need me as possible. Okay. And you're there for everybody. We salute that. You were a very happy, go lucky young woman, everything going well in your life. Alopecia kind of broke you for a while, but now you're back on track. Uh, you're giving back. And uh, I suppose, is it safe to say you wouldn't be the woman you are without having had that that oh, uh, battle, 100%. I suppose? I, I much prefer the person I am now. And, you know, I never, I had such an easy, happy life with great support system. I never had to do a lot of internal work on myself. And, you know, I've I'm gone really into meditation and yoga and all these amazing things about self-love and self-care. And it's made me a much better person and a person that I just truly love and appreciate, really. OK, you're very mature sounding for 27, if I may say so. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> we wish you all the best and uh, please be aware that it is Alopecia Awareness Month and we thank Chloe Sheehan uh, for coming front and centre and detailing her own journey through alopecia and the positive element she's offering to society through Instagram and other ways at the uh, at the this end of things and for coming on air and speaking to us. Thanks very much, Chloe, and good morning. Thank you, Mick. Cheers. You're listening to the number one talk show in Cork, The Neil Prendeville Show. It's the best in Cork. On Red FM. It's 9.30. A very good morning to you. Some texts and comments we didn't get to yesterday. It being a very busy end to the programme. Uh, on the government and ventilators issue, uh, I've no grow for the way this pandemic has been handled, but I think we can cut the government some slack for this. At the time the whole world was in panic, we were all screaming out for these ventilators. Crazy things can happen during an impending emergency. So let them off on this because there are plenty of other things they did after the initial panic uh, that they should be brought to rights for. Let's focus on that. Hi Mick, where did the order for these ventilators come from? From Wish. 
The same lads who ordered these are probably the same Egypts who ordered that two million monstrosity of a printer, says Richie. We have a disaster of a housing crisis, a non-functional health service, and basically politicians going through facade inquiries that end in nothing. It's a total joke. I nearly think the Taliban could do a better job at this stage running the country. I'm sick to death of rubbish and constant lies from our government. Regards, says Anthony. Uh, we have uh, right now, of course, being inundated with uh, texts on uh, 0868104106 regarding that interview with Chloe. You're amazing, Chloe, so brave and one of a kind. I love following your page and so lovely to hear you on air this morning. Thank you for making your journey so public, says another. You're one of a kind. Another says you're so very special, Chloe, sending love and light to you always. You really are amazing, Chloe, so brave. Well done and inspiration to us all, Chloe. You're an amazing, inspirational woman, Chloe. Never change. And uh, thanks for a great interview with uh, Chloe Mick. She has such a wonderful outlook on life. That's uh, coming back to uh, today's programme. Of course, uh, Mary Lou MacDonald's interview yesterday generated some text as well. Uh, and on that, love Mary Lou and glad Mick you gave her a chance to speak. Every interviewer always goes back to the past. Nice to hear her talking about the present day. It's all right listening to Mary Lou MacDonald. Uh, this is a party that will bring in every refugee into our country and house them while our own will remain homeless and without their own homes and will be forced to emigrate. Sinn Féin will be a party of no principles and no loyalties to the young of Ireland, says another texter. Hi Mick, it's the civil servants that are running the country, so Sinn Féin would bring little change and it would be much the same with jobs for the boys and the girls, and that's it, says Jerry. Arrogance has been a big part of Fine Gael. This is on the Merrion Gate issue. Arrogance has been a big part of Fine Gael since they came to power, and the undemocratic pact they now have with Fianna Fáil is massively damaging to Fianna Fáil, and many in that camp must be furious, uh, says Anthony. And Merrion Gate, it seems, was a big thank you uh, from Fine Gael for Zappone getting the job she looked for. Uh, on Chefs and Hospitality, also in yesterday's programme, uh, Morning Mick, you know me, I used to feed you in the Enzyme in Monkstown. Uh, that was many years ago, I would imagine. I've been a chef for over 30 years now, and that kind of experience only warrants 15 euro per hour cash. And there are weekends and evenings involved, especially in the restaurant stroke hotel and bar game, because that's when they're busiest. Some don't even give you structured breaks. It's well and good for one guy to come on and say, oh, it's rewarding and you can have the hours you want to suit you. Trust me, that's a one-off. Employment agencies offered me 16.66 per hour max after 30 years of chefing. It's a joke, Mick. Another texter says, why aren't the under 30s pushed off the dole to take up these jobs? Another says, maybe if they increased pay, they would attract more staff. And the tourism industry, says another, has zero unions for chefs and all industry-related staff. Why is that, I wonder. On the lack of staff, this texture says, Good morning, Mick. Your program mentioned that employers are finding it hard to find workers. Maybe the problem is that in many companies, employees are out of work due to COVID-19. In my company, we have 16 people out of work with COVID. Cases are rising and rising fast, Mick. I can't come on for obvious reasons. And to the HSE, which also raised the ire of some textures yesterday. What you have to understand is the people making decisions and policies about the healthcare system don't use that system. They use the private healthcare system. Our healthcare system is decimated. Well before the COVID, it's a national disgrace, not fit for purpose. Uh, another texture says, the CUMH is wasting money every day. When you walk in now, it's more like a hotel than a hospital. Money has been spent on a fancy reception area, cars and fancy glass to divide up rooms. The money should be spent on the staff 
Authorities have a lot to answer for and should explain where and why they're spending this money. It seems like they don't need to answer to anyone about the way they're spending money. And there's one more, and it's on foreign travel. Hi, Mick. Uh, hi, Mick. While discussing uh, the breaking of COVID restrictions and guidelines, perhaps Mary Lou might give her opinion on the issue of foreign travel. According to the CSO, at the height of the global pandemic, pandemic 65,200 immigrants came to little old Ireland in the year to April 2021. It puts into perspective the custodial sentence handed down to the Corconian grandmother, Margaret Buttermer, for the high crime of not wearing a mask. So says Richie in Toker. We're back to calls and comments in a moment. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. And good morning to Victor Shine, second officer at Cork City Fire Brigade. Good morning, Victor. Thanks for holding. Good morning to you. Now, I'm always impressed with the way the Neil Prendeville Show production team don't miss a trick. And on your social media last night, they came across a very, very interesting post. And it's not often, I would imagine, that Cork City Fire Brigade post something like this. But a very scary experience happened for one Cork family. But it does have a bright side. It had a dangerous side, but it does have a positive that you can tell people about. I believe um, the story on it, without going into great detail, was a hot press on fire or what we prefer to refer to it now as an airing cupboard rather than a hot press, um, where the primary use for this location is for storing your hot water tank and your immersion heater in the typically uh, on a two-story house somewhere in the landing and it may be on the ground floor as well. But primarily to store hot water in a, a space in the house. Typically, um, Corkonians and people around the country or worldwide would store clothing in these spaces as well due to the sufficient heat for drying. And the, the, the natural tendency is to overpack these spaces. So you reduce the ability for air circulation and reduce the risk of combustion uh, due to um, the material heating their auto-ignition temperature and igniting. To reduce the risk or increase the risk of combustion? It increases the risk of combustion oh, yeah, okay. by over 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 uh, packing these um, spaces. So when you're um, using these spaces for airing clothing, you need to have uh, sufficient spaces between the clothing. Ideally, you would have your clothing segregated into bedding or clothing that um, just for airing uh, clothes. Um, whatever. I, I think for most Twitter, it's probably a nice place to get some warm towels. Absolutely. Uh, an interesting statistic from that, if you took your um, uh, washing from your uh, uh, washing machine and put it directly into that space for drying, typically that space will give off approximately two, two litres of moist air into that space and you can actually cause um, dampness and mould in that space as well. So the material that should be put in there would have been dried naturally or in a tumble dryer and then put into that space for just natural airing due to the mm. ability of the warm air coming from your storage tank. And there are many thousands of our listeners, I imagine, who are doing this each and every day. So what's the problem? Overpacking? Overpacking is typically the problem and not maintaining the uh, the storage tank facilities. That would be the electrical cabling going into the um, tank unit itself to the immersion element that needs to be checked regularly. There is a, th- or a thermostat built into that so you can set your... Um, temperature in the water tank when you turn on your um, uh, your immersion during the summer period when you normally wouldn't have your heating system running. So that can be set to various temperatures, so an appropriate temperature set to your requirements. Um, the timer units and switching units as well need to be looked at and maintained. 
And if the temperatures inside these uh, presses, these airing cupboards, uh, get too hot, these um, systems can be damaged, the wiring can be damaged. And typically in the modern home now, you may also have plastic piping going in rather than copper piping going onto some of these tank fittings. And um, they can also be... Uh, That'll melt, uh, of course, yeah. They, they can be compromised due to the higher temperatures, yeah. Okay, now I'm looking at the outside of the door, which is slightly stained uh, because, of, because of the heat no. damage. Now, when you, when, you, when you look at the inside of the door, it's absolutely blackened. So I imagine exactly. what happened here was they were sensible enough not to open the door and feed whatever flame was in there. The, on this particular situation, um, all the systems kicked in correctly. You had a smoke detector out on the landing, out in the space, which gave the early warning that there was something wrong, brought the attention of the family to um, the fire situation in the storage area. And wisely, the family decided not to open the press, raised the alarm, called the emergency services, and they went there and dealt with the situation without any fire spread beyond the source of origin, which was in the airing cupboard. Okay, how, so how, just, how do guys like yourselves, fully trained, tackle these sort of um, fires? Because, I mean, obviously, you've got to open the door to, to put it out. That leaves the oxygen yeah. in, doesn't it? Absolutely. But we do have special t- uh, door opening techniques. Um, with opening a door, uh, the hot gases are always at the top. So our crews will stay low. They'll crack the door open very slowly, look in to see is there an obvious sign of flame, They will introduce water into that space, a small quantity of water to generate steam, which will extinguish the fire and cool the area down and then open the door. So there is a technique um, opening and closing a number of times before the door is opened fully. So we're getting control of the atmosphere inside that space. I I remember a fire fire we had in an office once in a radio station I worked in and uh, it was a glass door to an office uh, and the door was locked, but somebody had put a cigarette into, into a bin or something. Uh, and off it went, and, and you could see it filling up with smoke. The glass was getting hot on the outside. So the fire brigade was called, and we were told, in no uncertain terms, that if we'd opened the door, uh, we would have been blasted back with glass shards and pinned to the wall across across the hall. Uh, that's how dangerous uh, giving oxygen to a fire can be. There are two phenomenons that you can come across, and some people may have watched Towering Infernos and all these movies. You have a flashover and a backdraft situation, two different phenomenons. So it's to prevent that we use various techniques before we enter a building. And um, they can be very dangerous situations, particularly if the fire has been burning for a period of time inside in that space. So what might look like smoke, and we consider smoke as unburned fuel, that will ignite at an appropriate temperature. And when it's too rich, it won't burn. When it's too lean, it won't burn. So you're just looking for that ideal mix. And when you open that door, air will go in. You'll meet that correct mix. And it can auto-ignite and cause, um, literally, as you say, an explosion. Okay. Now, as autumn um, proceeds into winter, of course, everybody who's listening is going to be using uh, different methods of heating their home, whether that's underfloor, whether it's oil or gas-fired central heating, and, of course, the open flames, open fire and stoves as well. What's the general advice from the fire service uh, for, obviously, that smoke alarm uh, possibly saved lives in a house last night? Uh, What's the general advice from you guys? Okay, you, there, there are three typical type of alarms now that you're starting to hear about. Up to now, there were two that we were always hearing about. That was your smoke alarm in your two-story domestic dwelling. It was generally a minimum of two. In your single story, it was generally a minimum of one. In the perfect world, you would have one in each room. That would give you the ultimate protection. Okay, 
your carbon monoxide detector would be in any room where you have uh, products of combustion, whether you have a storage heater, a gas boiler, and so on. You can get advice from appropriate people about um, where they should be located and so on. And the location of the carbon monoxide detector is very important as well. Some units are combination units, which would be smoke and carbon monoxide, which you'd find on the ceiling. Other units may be um, a carbon monoxide detector that would be in halfway down the wall, approximately where your seated position would be. Because an unusual phenomenon with carbon monoxide it is the same density as air, so the gas will be at the uh, lower, middle, and top of a room. So it's the same as air, and your hemoglobin or your red blood cells will be attracted more to carbon monoxide and oxygen. So it's a highly dangerous gas. Okay. The other and final thing, I suppose, is... I'm in the background there. <laughs> oh, yeah. The other and, and, and final thing, I guess, is fire blankets for cookers or fire extinguishers. Are they advised? Absolutely. Um, typically, you'll have your um, fire blanket in your kitchen area near your cooking. Um, and ideally, you would have a, a, a small, two, perhaps a 2.5 kg fire extinguisher in your house as well. Mm-hmm. So again, with appropriate training and so on. And two other pieces of advice that we would have is to have an appropriate uh, evacuation drill in the home. And we refer to it as an EDITH drill, evacu- E-D-I-T-H, evacuation drill in the home, that you should decide if there is a fire, what route should I take to evacuate my family? Okay, whether it's out a, an emergency exit on a, a first floor of a, a house, you know, one window will open fully, and it will be a last resort to exit to a window. By the way, if you raise the alarm to the emergency services, they will tell you help is on the way. Quite often, an operator will stay on the phone and give you advice as well and keep you updated, whether it's a medical or a fire type situation keep you um, up to date on uh, approach times and so on. Mm. Um, And the other thing I should mention to you as well, the third alarm that seems to be becoming more common is your carbon dioxide detector. You may have it in the offices as well for due to the COVID uh, restrictions and so on. Schools will be using them extensively now in classrooms and so on where the air quality of the room as well. So it'll tell you if carbon dioxide is increasing, which means you have to increase your ventilation in that space. Okay, so and your detection. Sorry, sorry. It's just uh, people who come across alarms going off in their own residence would be inclined, I think, to try and save property. Uh, obviously, life comes first, but they would be inclined to try and attempt a self-resolution of the problem rather than calling nine nine nine. Would I be right? Unfortunately, human nature is they will always attempt to tackle an emergency situation themselves first, uh, believing that they are capable in some cases. And you would see that quite a lot with the, I refer back to the old chip pan fire, where you would have had hot oil and somebody picking it up off the stove with the flame coming off it and moving forward and burning their hands. And so to um, a room on fire where the safest option in most cases will be to make sure that there's nobody in the room, first of all, by just looking, closing that door, evacuating the premises or property and raising the alarm and leaving it to the professionals. All right. Uh, one final question. I guess every young boy wants to be fireman, Sam. Uh, that probably peters out a little as, 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 as they grow old. What's the recruitment process? Uh, are there jobs available? Is it a vo- I know it's, it's a very brave vocation to put yourself in harm's way for a living, and that's what you guys do. But uh, are, are there openings? Is it a rewarding career? It's absolutely rewarding career. I'm in this job now for 40 years. It's been very kind to me. 
And at the end of this month, 29th of this month, we have a bunch of recruits starting um, in the fire service uh, to enhance their careers and to boost the uh, protection to the uh, people of Cork City. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'd probably get in trouble now for saying every little boy wants to be fireman, Sam, but you get the general idea. Every little child, I'm not being exclusive <laughs> well, there at all. We do, we do have a female coming in. <laughs> What's the ratio? Is it, it's, is it heavily weighted towards the males? No, it's it's open to anybody. Um, there is no upper age limit, as you were saying. Uh, it's not just for a young person. Anybody over 18 is eligible to apply. And there are a number of competitions that you go through from psychometric testing to physical testing and so on. So um, this year for the recruitment process, we nearly had 3,000 applicants. Wow. And um, so we're, we're down to the first group and there's a panel then that there is a, a strong possibility that um, there will be a number taken in again next year. Excellent. So, but, but for now, if people want to look at what is possible and what has been prevented, uh, Cork City Fire Brigade crews from Anglesey Street called to a fire in a hot press or an airing corporate, as you say, in a home in the Donnybrook area. And uh, loss of life and loss of property was averted by the family very, very astutely saying, OK, this is probably beyond our capabilities. Get the fire brigade in here and get it dealt with uh, professionally. There's extensive damage inside the airing cupboard, but very, very little damage on the outside. So... Uh, precaution and care is required as we move into the winter. Victor Shine, second officer at Cork City Fire Brigade. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Bye bye. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851 Red FM. And one big winner before 12 midday ha, is going to have pizza delivered to their home or workplace with Oak Fire Pizza, Real Wood Fire Pizza in Clonakilty, Bandon, Princess Street, Galabi Street, and Douglas Village. Text Free Food Friday to 0868104106. Tell us who and where you are, and uh, your chance is there to win six large pizzas, garlic bread, potatoes. Uh, drinks, dips and desserts for 15 people. I want to have a quick chat with Don O'Leary from the, uh, he's the director of Cork Life Centre. Good morning, Don. Good morning. Now, we're about seven, six and a half minutes away from the Leaving Cert results being uh, released and of course 60,000 students will receive their results today. This includes just over 3,000 who sat the Alternative Leaving Certificate Applied Programme. Grades are up, we're told, by 2.4 percentage points compared to last year. What's your advice to anybody getting their Leaving Cert results in a few minutes' time? Well, well look, you see, forget about grades being up because what's scaring kids already is that if grades are up, then the point system, which is a crazy system anyway, is up. So you you now have many of those young people terrified in case they're not going to get to the, the, the place of choice. Um, what I'd like to be saying to people is that you know, the Leaving Cert isn't just an exam, right? It, it, it's a right of passage, actually. And, and the right of passage is probably more more important than the, the examination in itself. Now, I know teachers around the country will be saying, what are you saying? What I'm saying here is here, we're celebrating it wrongly in a way. What we should be celebrating is the journey of a young person through the formal education system or through an alternative system is known complete for, for, for their second schooling. And they don't have a chance to move on to third level, go to a job, whatever they need. We, we place too much emphasis on, on points, which, which results in, in, in lots of young people today 
when they should be celebrating their journey and, and how, how far they've come. Yes, they stayed in education for the, uh, you know, for the primary yeah. and secondary years. They were brave enough. They stayed in it. They yeah, stood shoulder to shoulder. You, they, yeah. they took little steps rather than trying to, trying to take giant leaps. And by taking little steps, you climb the ladder. And sometimes with giant leaps, you, you're going to miss a few. You are. And look, I suppose, look, if you, t- if you take it right here, we have a, a kind of a tradition here, right since we put the Living Cert in place here in 2008, whereby we sit with the parents and the young person to handle the results. Now, that's going to mean I'm going to be here, I think, until half, half the street today giving all the results. But, but, but that's not what we're doing here. What we're doing is celebrating with the young person the journey that they've made, you know, and for all young people, it is the fact that they not only stuck at education, but had had a bad experience, had missed, many of them had left education or had been put out of education, but they wanted it so badly that they came back in. Now, for me, that is important. That is absolutely uh, 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 huge, right? And when we look at the two years these kids had, and they are children, we forget this, they're 17, you know, 17, 18 years of age, right? They've, the last two years, at, at any level, have been hugely anxious for, for everyone. They've been the most stressful in, 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 in their young lives, I imagine. Well, yes, and I mean, look, you know, when we looked last year, these, these kids missed time in fifth year, missed time in sixth year, through no fault of their own, and, and then they have to try and catch up. Now, for me, I think the, the important message to be sending to young people today is, don't worry. Mm-hmm. You, you don't get the points you need. There are other ways of getting to that course. Yes, the young people are going to be disappointed today. But as adults, we should be sitting with them, praising them, and celebrating their rite of passage, and, and, and celebrating celebrating what they've managed, what they've achieved. Don, I'd, I'd love to talk to you longer, but uh, I, I must leave it there. Thank you very much for all you do, and for the patience, and and, and for really taking the focus off the points. Because in a few minutes' time, the media will swing on the big, big achievers when everybody is a winner who has completed the leaving cert. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. You're listening to the Emerald Award-winning Music Station of the Year, Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now, 1850-104-106, Red FM. Now, the government have announced its new Housing for All strategy. It's planned to tackle the housing uh, crisis, uh, seen as a key initiative for the government and particularly uh, important for Fianna Fáil. Housing for All is the government's plan to uh, 2030. So, nine years of a plan and containing a range of actions and measures which aim to provide 33,000 social, affordable, cost rental and private homes on average uh, each year up to and including 2030. And we're joined on the programme by the Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath from Cork South Central. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm good. Now, a big day for, for Fianna Fáil, of course. The shadow has been cast. We're not going to dwell on that again. Uh, I, I know Fianna Fáil would like to put that Marion Gate thing behind. Let's concentrate on, on this policy. I have at home, for the last four years, the Rebuilding Ireland strategy, uh, I think delivered at the time by the uh, Housing Minister, Simon Coveney. Very little seems to have been achieved since then, Michael. 
I think the key difference here is one of scale, Mick. What we're looking at here is a plan out to 2030, uh, which is ambitious, yes, but which is fully funded. And we have now uh, secured government approval uh, in our national development plan for a, a major ramping up of funding for the construction of homes over the next number of years. And when you combine the different sources of funding, you're looking at over €4 billion Euro per annum uh, going into housing uh, in Ireland from the state sector uh, over the next number of years and uh, we have plans to deliver uh, not just uh, 90,000 social homes so about about 9,000 or so uh, public homes per annum for people on uh, the council housing waiting lists but also uh, for the first time in over a decade to have an affordable housing scheme whereby the state will step in and support people who just can't currently afford to buy a home and uh, we'll be looking at about 54,000 affordable purchase uh, and cost rental homes which is a new idea in Ireland uh, that uh, the state uh, provides rental accommodation to people who are above the income eligibility threshold uh, for public housing uh, and they can rent at a, re- a reduced rent from the market value uh, and obviously we have to work with the private sector, the state can't do everything uh, but this is uh, by far and away the largest and most ambitious um, uh, public capital housing programme that the country has ever seen and we're, it's now, it now falls on us to deliver, to deliver on it and that really is what matters of course to people is delivering and building these homes. Yeah, there will be lots what, of challenges. But that's what really matters this time. It is very, very heavy ambition. If I can put it to you, it's probably a turbocharged version with much heavier on detail than, than rebuilding Ireland. But it seems to be also married to the notion that um, solving supply will resolve all the issues. And it's not going to be as simplistic as that. No, it is not as simplistic as that, but but that is the immediate issue we face and we're likely to face for quite some time yet because if you look at the last year pre-COVID 2019, the output in Ireland was about 20,000 homes uh, were built. Uh, It was similar enough last year, which was an achievement in itself given uh, all of the restrictions as a result of COVID. We need to get that to over 30,000. That really is the challenge and uh, we believe we can get there within the next couple of years. It's not going to be that high this year uh, or or next year. Next year, we're aiming for around 25,000 homes rising to 29,000 the following year uh, and then about 33,500 in 2024. So it it will be built up uh, gradually. Uh, We have to work with the private sector here as well. We have to make sure we have the workers uh, to do this work. Uh, Currently, we have about 40,000 construction workers involved in building homes. We estimate that we need at least another 27,500 a half thousand construction workers to deliver uh, the number of homes that we are targeting and we're providing the funding for and we believe that that can be done in a number of ways Uh, there are still uh, about 12,000 people uh, out of work who uh, were working in construction and are still on the PUP and uh, will will want to come back to work and there will be employment there for them. Uh, we also envisage that there will be a diversion of some construction activity away from new offices uh, and towards residential construction. And when you consider the, the hybrid form of working, the blended type of working, working from home, working from the office uh, that is emerging and I think is here to stay, uh, there will be less reliance in the office 
office and we think that that will uh, free up some capacity uh, for the construction of homes as well uh, in in relation to the the construction workers and we have a very uh, ambitious uh, programme to ramp up apprenticeships in Ireland uh, to try and get more young people looking at the opportunities uh, that apprenticeships uh, provide so it's multifaceted I mean there are a lot of reforms needed to the planning system uh, as well uh, and to the whole area of judicial review uh, and all of that so it's it's a very comprehensive plan it's 160 pages it will take people some time to go through it uh, but a lot of the enabling legislation uh, has now been passed and is in place so for um, the putting in place of an affordable housing scheme uh, that is in place the legislation for the land development agency uh, which is about using public land that isn't necessarily owned by councils but by other public bodies to make that available for housing supply so uh, that's the broad plan and uh, we look forward now to implementing it with, uh, with gusto isn't it a bit out there, though, to think that, uh, you know, throwing 33,000, if you achieve it, homes a year uh, at the market will suddenly enable young people to be on the property ladder? Uh, it's a supply and demand fundamental. Supply is too low, price is too high. Uh, and even your own manifesto um, going into government said for 10,000 social and affordable houses, you're going to be nowhere near that. Well, we we are. We'll we, we'll have about nine thousand social homes uh, per annum, uh, and then we will be adding to that uh, at least four thousand affordable homes per year as well. And I agree with you. There is a mismatch between supply and demand at the moment. Uh, supply is, let's say, around twenty thousand. Uh, demand is well north of 30,000. There are different estimates of that, but um, the, the most commonly used figure is around 33,000 homes a year per annum is what we need uh, as a country. So we do need to fix the supply issue. The state is now going to play a bigger role than it ever has done before uh, in directly providing homes through our local authorities, through the approved housing bodies, uh, and working with the private uh, construction sector as well uh, in relation to turnkey developments, for example. Um, but we can't do it all and that's why we do have mm. to work with and support uh, the private sector who will who will deliver uh, about half the homes in this overall plan out to 2030 and we have a lot of proposals here that we will advance in relation to land availability um, uh, zoned land that is not being used, not being built on uh, and uh, we'll be enacting all of that in the coming months. Okay, now I have to acknowledge in, in what I've been able to read so far and glean from the plan, Michael, that there has been, it seems to me, uh, a, a larger element of joined up thinking here and that you would hope to be pulling in the local authorities, to be pulling in those who are stakeholders in the planning process and, and smoothing out a lot of the bureaucracy that has people just befuddled with this, with this um, housing market. We've worked very hard on this plan. There has been a cabinet committee on housing has been meeting regularly uh, to move this on from one draft to the next draft to iron out issues to make sure that we have consulted and involved all of the major stakeholders and uh, that work has come to a conclusion now and in parallel then we ensured that all of the necessary legislation was being passed through the Oireachtas so that we could uh, get this underway and get this moving uh, very quickly. So we're providing the funding. Uh, the political will is there to do this. It is the challenge of our generation, I believe, uh, in this country, along with climate change. And we simply have to tackle this. And we do believe we can make progress. There was there was good work done uh, under previous plans, uh, but we need to go much further. And the scale of ambition and the scale of funding being provided here is beyond compare. I mean, when Ireland was a much, much poorer country, uh, Mick, as you well know, back in the 1930s and 40s and 50s, we were 
building thousands of public homes a year uh, and we're now getting back to that uh, and I believe that our local authorities and our approved housing bodies working with private industry uh, can and will do that and it's our job now to make sure that happens. But but here's the rub Michael and I'm not being facetious our plasterers, our carpenters, our electricians are with our nurses in Canada in Australia, in the United Arab Emirates and it isn't uh, attractive for them to come home. Number one, if they did they wouldn't be getting paid as much. Number two, if they did they have nowhere to live. So we're kind of caught in a catch-22 here. Yeah, that is an issue and the shortage of accommodation uh, in Ireland, uh, in particular in areas where people want to live, uh, is a constraint and if we if we don't fix this quickly, then it will certainly have an impact on economic development and on the attractiveness of Ireland for people coming in for the first time uh, to work here or for people returning home. So we need to make progress on this uh, quite quickly, but there is uh, capacity within the country as well that we need to make more use of. I refer to people whose last job was in construction and who are no longer working. Uh, we need to, to talk to them and work with them and uh, see if we can find opportunities that they can take advantage of. And as I say, we do envisage that there will probably be uh, a shift from some commercial related construction activity uh, into residential activity and that will enable the transfer of some resources. But we are going to reach out to Irish people abroad um, because many of them have got fantastic fantastic experience in recent years and we want them to come home and to uh, provide that experience in Ireland and put it to use here. So we'll be looking at this and tackling it from, from all of those angles. But h- higher wages and attractiveness for those skills, Michael, will, will cause higher, ho- higher, higher house prices uh, You know, when it comes to the bottom line. Is the answer then going to be in tax incentives uh, for no, these workers? Uh, uh, for, for, for the workers coming back? Perhaps, you know, to make it attractive for them to work in this industry. We, we have a, a private speculative model that, that supplies all of our uh, housing at this time. And the government has been kind of, uh, successive governments have been attached to that. But what that causes is people who are holding land banks to drip feed it into the economy. Uh, and so maximize their returns over time. And this only supports high house prices. Yeah, I mean, I think that what people looking for a future in the construction industry want to see is certainty. They don't want policies constantly changing. That's what investors want to see. And so this is our plan now. And there won't be, you know, further dramatic changes in policy. Uh, The focus now will be on implementing uh, this program. So they want certainty. They want stability and they want government commitment and they want uh, resources from uh, the exchequer uh, to be provided on a sustained basis, not in a, in a bumpy yo-yo up and down way, but in a steady, sustainable way. And we now have uh, got the agreement uh, through the funding allocations in the National Development Plan to underpin this programme. But you make a very good point in relation to land. We have a lot of zoned land in Ireland, uh, which is not being developed. Uh, there are different reasons for that. Uh, in, in some cases, it's because land is not serviced uh, and we need to invest in the, the water and the wastewater infrastructure. Uh, but in other cases, it's speculation. It's sitting on land in the hope that the value is going to rise further. And so what we will be doing is uh, introducing uh, a tax on unused zoned land because where the local authority zones land, it is with a view to bringing that to the market for construction and homes being built on it. And if people are sitting on zoned land uh, indefinitely, then we have to do something about that and we intend to. 
or, or, or put a time limit on, on the zoning of five or ten years and if you don't use it like 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 an, uh, a license in a pub if you delicense the pub that premises can never be licensed against yeah. you use it or lose it well, it's open to councils at any time to do that. I mean, they have the discretion in their uh, county development plans, which are reviewed every five years, uh, to dezone land, and they do that sometimes. And uh, it is a tool that they have, and you know that that's a function for uh, the elected members of local authorities. And I think it it should be used where land is not being uh, brought to the market, and there's no intention of developing it. Then what is the point in leaving it there zoned indefinitely? Okay, Michael, I know you have a meeting at ten. But I'm going to use all the available time to us if you don't mind. Sure. Can, can you ask Michael McGrath, please, Mick, about the uh, help to buy scheme expiring at the end of the year and if there's any plan to renew it into 2022? We're currently looking to buy a property in a private development and was told that they're all already sold for social housing. It's an extremely frustrating situation with the lack of supply of new housing and the scheme expiring this year. Can you shed any light on that? We will be uh, making a decision and confirming the situation for help to buy for for next year uh, in the budget, and the budget is on October the 12th, so uh, as you'll understand with all taxation issues, um, they're kept under review. I can't say in advance of the budget what the decision will be, um, but I have been discussing it with um, Pascal Donoghue, who's in charge of tax policy, and uh, he is very conscious of the importance of this scheme for first-time buyers, uh, many of whom who did use it in recent years would not have been able to buy a home uh, without the the, uh, the tax support, the rebate uh, of up to €30,000. So all that I can say to your listener is we understand its importance, uh, we recognise it, uh, and that will be taken into account when we make a decision which will be confirmed on October the 12th in less than six weeks' time. OK, let's look at the more mom-and-pop uh, sort of elements here rather than the minutiae and the ambition. Let's say Joe and Mary Bloggs want to build, uh, they have mom-and-pop's uh, blessing to to take some land in the garden. There's room there. They're finding the, the, the process, not just the banking and availability of money, but the planning process, uh, just very, very fraught with bureaucracy. Is there going to be any smoothening? Uh, that's one, that's one couple that could be off the, uh, the demand list, if you like, if they were accommodated. Can anything be done to facilitate? You know, I, I have a friend who's a farmer in Kerry and he's got 200 acres and he can't put a house on that for his child. It just beggars belief. Yeah, well, there there are there are restrictions and, and rules around uh, developing rural areas. People have to have, as you know, a strong connection to the area, have grown up there, or be working there, and it, it varies from local authority to local authority. Uh, but there is a national uh, policy as well, so that that is a function of planning authorities. We don't dictate to them how to handle individual planning decisions. But on the on the larger uh, scale, what we are doing is bringing the control over planning uh, back to local authorities and um, giving elected members um, um, a significant say in the formulation of development plans and then it is the officials, the executives who implement that uh, on a day-to-day basis then when planning decisions are being made. So uh, we are bringing more control and more power back uh, at a local level uh, rather than uh, through on board Planola in, in strategic um, planning and so on for uh, for larger developments. Okay, what, ab- what about an increasing focus on the addre- on addressing... Uh, current vacancies, lots of vacant properties around and also more efficient use of existing state-owned stock. Yeah, we are now through the uh, the reform of the local property tax going to pull together uh, data that will assist us in bringing forward a vacant homes tax. 
and we recognise that there can be genuine reasons why homes are vacant for a prolonged period of time. Uh, it can be complex. You have legal disputes, you have probate issues and so on. Uh, but in many instances, there are no such complications and homes are just left idle. And we believe that uh, that is not fair at a time when we have a housing crisis and we need to do something about that. And so while we have a certain amount of data from the CSO and from the census, we're going to refine that now and go into to a more granular level of detail uh, through the evaluation process uh, in relation to the local property tax uh, in November of this year. That will give us the information that we need then uh, to bring forward a proposal for a vacant homes tax. It's not going to be popular, Mick, but we cannot have a situation in a housing crisis where for no good reason properties are left idle uh, for too long and we're going to fix that. Uh, and also the state has to play its role, of course, in the properties that it controls. And that's why I have given Darrell O'Brien a lot of extra money over the last year and a half or so uh, to turn around what they call voids in local authorities. And to be fair to the city council, the county council, they've dramatically improved the situation. I've no doubt your listeners will phone in individual examples of a, um, a home that's vacant for six months or 12 months. But uh, from the, the information I'm getting, uh, that is now the exception rather than the norm. Okay, the I have one here. It's, much a, better. it's a specific one, Michael. It might be a little unfair to ask you. Parents live in a council house for the past 50 years. Their son wants to buy the house, but was told they can't sell it because it's a four-bedroom house. Is there a reason for that? So they have bought the house presumably under the tenant purchase scheme and they're trying to sell that to their son. Is that the... I, it would, I, I don't have any further detail, but I would yeah. imagine so, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't have an immediate answer to that, Mick. If if they want to contact me, I'll, I'll certainly look into it, but uh, it must be related to conditions associated with the sale to them in the first place under the tenant purchase scheme. Uh, and there, there is still a tenant purchase scheme uh, in place. We think it's important that, that uh, public housing tenants uh, in uh, local authorities have the opportunity to buy. The same opportunity is not there in approved housing bodies. If you are a tenant of an approved housing body, uh, you will not have the opportunity to buy. That is a lifetime r- a rental arrangement. Um, but if they want to contact me, I'll certainly look into okay. it. But, uh, but no immediate reason comes to mind as to why, why they can't sell that property okay. if they have full freehold title. The backdrop of all of these promises, of course, is a canvas of failed promises like uh, the event centre, the children's hospital, the HSE debacle, scandals all over the place, uh, you know, grand entitlements and cosy cartel parties. Why should people believe you this time? And I, I'm saying this under the backdrop of acknowledging there's a lot more at stake for Fianna Fáil here than there ever has been before. Well, what I would say to people is that we are doing this. We started in the budget last year, my first budget as Minister for Public Expenditure, where I provided a record amount of resources uh, to Dara O'Brien and the Department of Housing to build homes. I mean, that is ultimately what this is about. We have to build homes and just cut out the nonsense and try to cut out the red tape and the bureaucracy. I mean, the the, 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 the biggest figure in recent years for building of public homes uh, was 6,500 uh, in 20. 2019, and uh, I gave Darrell O'Brien and his department funding to construct 9,500 homes this year. Now, they're not going to reach that because of COVID, but they have the money to do it, and they'll have the money to do it next year and the year beyond as well, because this fits into an overall framework, just to make that point, Mick, that we now have an agreed um, budgetary framework out to 2025 for the whole lifetime of this government, uh, underpinned by our economic forecasts, which have been independently valid 
validated. And so all of the numbers in here have been factored into that, just to make that point. This is not made up as as we go along. It is part of an overall jigsaw of government expenditure uh, and the budgetary framework. So we're actually doing this. And I think if you look around, you will see a lot of activity uh, in housing, particularly public housing, social housing. Uh, We have an affordable scheme already underway in Cork and a lot more to come. Um, And we we need to see the private sector do more. And we're keen to, to help them to unlock some of the bottlenecks that are currently there in the system. Okay, well, watch it with interest. I know you need to go. That uh, particular couple want to buy that house off the council. Perhaps one of your people uh, can get back to us on that, Michael. Uh, One final question. As we throw money and, you know, we need it, the infrastructure, for instance, like the uh, Dun Kettle project, uh, why aren't those contractors uh, maybe uh, obliged to take in a certain number of apprentices uh, to maybe buy a bank of land and put it to public use? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm aware there's only 16 plasterers uh, and about 120 vacancies taken up this year. They're going to be very busy 16 plasterers in Fianna Fáil's plan. Uh, they are, and the truth is that for a period of about 10 years, we had very few people uh, going into apprenticeships, and even still, there are more uh, opportunities in that area uh, than there is demand for places. And so we need to encourage more and more people uh, through our, our school system and in every other way uh, to look at the opportunities in this area, uh, because where we have a plan to uh, pretty much double uh, the intake into apprenticeships uh, up to uh, 10 thousand per annum which would be almost double the 2020 uh, intake so uh, that is a huge challenge and uh, we are going to do all that we can uh, to, to sell this to people who are looking for a career in construction and what they really want to see is stability because what we've had in the past is boom and bust people need to see this as a st- sustainable uh, steady career that will give them good prospects into the long term and that's what we're really anxious to try and develop okay there's a quarter or one billion of your four billion a year already going into rental support and hap scheme surely you can attack uh, something with that budget. Well, the, the key here is to transition over time from uh, paying rental support uh, to providing homes for yes. those people. So if you take the HAP away in the short term, then those people have no home and they have no support. So what we're shifting here is the emphasis from paying short-term rental support uh, to paying for the building of homes. Uh, and of course, those homes are state assets. They're going to be there um, long into the future. So that is, I think, the fundamental shift here. And uh, I mean, that question really uh, hits the nub of it. And we are making that decisive shift here by going back to building homes directly as a country. All right, Michael. Thank you for uh, for staying until the end. It's 10.30. I don't want you to be late for your meeting. Uh, Michael McGrath, Minister for Public Expenditure. Thank you for joining us this morning. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. 27 and a half minutes to 11 o'clock and a very good morning to you from the Neil Prandeville Show. This is Big Mulcahy. Now then, Oak Fire Pizza. Um, of course, every Friday, give us our free food Friday. Uh, we're back to a huge big delivery. One big delivery. And it can have pizza delivered to your home or to your workplace with Oak Fire Pizza. It's real wood fire pizza. And it's uh, county-wide now. Clonakilty, in Bandon, in Princess Street, Galabi Street, and in Douglas Village more recently. So what we want you to do is text free food Friday or just three Fs, FFF to uh, 86 106 and tell us who you are uh, what it is you want for your uh, what it is uh, who it is you want it for what you do basically uh, anything you want to tell us about yourself and your chances there to win six large pizzas garlic bread potatoes dips drinks and desserts 
That's for 15 people. So don't worry if you've only got four or five. You can uh, share with the neighbours. Tell us who they are as well. It's Oak Fire Pizza, Realwood Fire Pizza now open in Clannacilty Band and Princess Street, Galabi Street and Douglas Village. Hi Mick, I love the show. Can I please nominate the staff doctors, nurses, dinner ladies, cleaning staff, porters in the ophthalmology ward in the South Infirmary? They looked after my husband last week with so much care. They made him feel more at home. They were so fantastic. Can you please put them forward for Free Food Friday? They really deserve it. Pizza for the uh, Baker Finn Recruitment. Busy filling pharmaceutical jobs in Cork and they're based in Middleton. Lunch for the staff at Anglesey Street Garda Station. Amari Ireland Limited on the Tremor Road. Can you please consider my daughter Erica Lynch and her colleagues Carlos Lee and Orla working hard at Chair Artistry of Hair on George's Quay for Free Food Friday. They'd love some Oak Farm Pizza. Thanks, says Big Dave. Uh, the four barbers in Image, I-M-A-J, uh, barbers in Douglas are working very hard today. They would love Oak Fire Pizza, open seven days a week, and they most definitely deserve it. You got the ad in as well, guys. Uh, we'd love pizza for all the staff in Phelan's Pharmacy in Blackrock Hall, especially two pregnant ladies, Simone and Claire. They're starving. Oh, you're tugging on the heartstrings, Pamela. Make the wife is going away dancing for the weekend. You can save my four kids having beans on toast by sending out a few pizzas for Saturday night. Says Damien in Passage West. Free food, Sean Buckley and co. Workers at Coalfield Transport in Little Island. Free food Friday, please. Leisure World in Churchfield. Uh, Kevin Buckley and colleagues in Super Value in Mayfield. Dave and the team at D&B Electrical. Sarah Harris and all the hardworking staff in Ballyfehan Health Centre. Free Food Friday for Art and Hobby in Douglas Court Shopping Centre. We do a couple more. Sarah in Passage would love this for me and the Post Office Girls. Free Food Friday for uh, Puffin Ward, COH, Mary Coakley and uh, all the ward there. They'd love a slice of that marvellous pizza says Vince Conroy. And one more, good morning and a happy Friday from Impact Ireland Metals in Glanmire. We'd love some pizza for this free food Friday. Keep the calls coming, 86 and tell us who you are and who you wanted uh, and for your chance to, who you wanted for, for your chance to win six large pizzas, garlic bread, potatoes, drinks, dips and desserts for 15 people with Oak Fire Pizza. Now let's go back to our phone lines and to line six. Good morning, Derek. Good morning. Hello. How are you doing? You want to make a point on uh, Simon Coveney's phone being hacked? Yeah. If it's hacked, or if it was hacked, as he said so, why is he still using it? I imagine anybody whose phone was hacked would uh, clear up the situation and continue to use the phone. I, I can't see how. When he's got these, um, what do you call it, all these government officials' names and numbers and it, once it's hacked, why would he still keep using it? Why is Michal Martin not taking them to chase for all the lies he told? First of all, he deleted them because he had to free up space. No, I don't think he deleted them to free up space. I think he deleted them. That's what he said, to free up space on his phone. He had to delete them and he does so every so often. Okay. Now, that begs the question, why hasn't he got a phone with more memory capacity? Well, why has he got not got a private phone? It, well, I imagine it is a private phone. <laughs> well, all government phones... They say the business is not to be deleted often. So the, the business with Catherine's phone for the makey up job that he was given up privately, but the taxman was paying for over 100,000 a year, 111,000. He made up the job for her because it's cronyism. Michal Martin should take him to task, but he hasn't got the backbone to say to any Finnegala, I've had enough of you, you are gone. But he done it to his own Fianna Fáil. Yeah, well, we discussed this yesterday. The the you know the the summary uh, dismissal of uh, Derek Leary and uh, um, Barry Cowan. Uh, they're in the Fianna Fáil side. That's 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 good for a new leader, I think, to be flexing the muscles and saying, "I'm a tough guy, and we'll 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 do this right, or we won't do it at all." Now, when it comes to the other side of the fence, 
Uh, how can Micheál Martin act on the two leading and senior figures in the Fine Gael party that are essentially supporting his Fianna Fáil-led government? Because he won't do anything about them because they, the government falls if they go. The government falls. And he'd be known always as the part-time Taoiseach, as we all know him. Um, if the government falls, he knows himself, Coveney, McGrath, Leo the Lawyer, Baradka, will never get back in again. Donnelly will never get back in again. Simon Harris, I could keep naming, they'll never get back in. He only formed with Fianna, with Fianna Gael, so he did, because he would have been known as the, t- the, the only leader of Fianna Fáil never to be Taoiseach. The people, a- didn't want, the people did not want this coalition. They don't want it. That's, that's, that's something I said to Michal Martin in a previous interview here long before he became Taoiseach. You know, that, you know, did you ever consider, if you don't make it, that you would be the only Fianna Fáil leader not to make that high office? Uh, and that weighed heavily on him, I think, and that, that probably weighed heavy on him in, in his deliberations. I also said to Mary Lou MacDonald yesterday, uh, there's a certain element of society that believe that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are almost a mirror image of each other now, and that their reason for existence is to keep uh, Sinn Féin out of office. That's the only reason they're, they're together. The only reason. But the people voted for Sinn Féin. They didn't vote for a coalition of Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil. And Michal Martin went to the doors, including my own door, and he said, not a hope, no chance of him going into government with Fianna Gael. But that's the art of politics, isn't it? Um, to, to tell blatant lies and well, cover, all up, cover up the cronyism. I think politics is, is clandestine diplomacy, really. Uh, it's, it's cloak and dagger stuff. It's always was and it always will be, I think. I agree with you to, to a certain extent. But the people don't want him. So why does he not resign? Why does he not get rid of Aradka for the, the secrets? Okay, can, can, I, can I put something to you, Derek? Because I, I think yeah, you're, yeah. You're, you're probably, you know, you're, you're politically there. You, 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 you've, you've read your, you know where you're at politically. So can, can I just put this to you? I said to Mary Lou MacDonald yesterday, uh, don't you think it's remarkable that uh, Leo Varadkar released those texts till kind of 11 days after they were said not to exist? When I was driving home yesterday, I, I said to myself, why did I use the word remarkable? And maybe it isn't remarkable. And I, the more I thought about it, and this is only me thinking now, right? What, what, if, what if Leo Varadkar had did it, on, did it on purpose to undermine the position of Simon Coveney? Um, look, 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 look what that would achieve. Look what that would achieve, okay? Leo Varadkar's position is unassailable as the leader of Fine Gael and propping up the Fianna Fáil government. But if, yeah. he was, if he was to put, say, um, Simon Coveney in a queer place and make Simon Coveney defend his existence here, look what happens. He is essentially eliminating the strongest contender to replace him. Exactly. And that person could be, for instance, that position could be taken up by somebody, you know, who's very able and very ambitious, Simon Harris. And Simon Harris is a loyalite, as we know from the last leadership campaign of Simon Coveney. And uh, that might be a very cute, astute political move on behalf of Leo Varadkar, because if Simon Coveney was to fall, uh, the government would survive and um, Leo would shore up his own position. Am I mad? That's what I was thinking going home in the car yesterday. No, you're 100% correct. Varadkar wants rid of Simon Coveney because he knows he's a threat to the leadership. But Simon Coveney is after digging a hole so far deep he's nearly in Australia now. With all his lies, he's after telling about these texts and the uh, makey-up job for his friend Catherine Zappone. He said he's not a friend of ours. And yet they've umpteen texts. It's very easy to get them texts retrieved. 
very easily. So why doesn't he, Michal Martin put it to him, get the texts retrieved, give them to me till I read them, and let me decide your fate? Yeah, the, the normal element, if you want to call it cronyism, that might be a little caustic or a little sarcastic. The normal element of, of this sort of jobs for the boys and girls is, is to give them a senatorial position if they fail to uh, be elected in the general election. This was a slightly more subtle uh, appointment. The fact that there was there seemed to be a party, uh, to, uh, I mean a social party, to announce it in a swanky Dublin hotel... Uh, and the fact that these um, texts reveal that a lot more people knew about it than than who admitted to knowing about it at the start, uh, as I said yesterday, should have been a storm in a teacup. Um, but when those texts were released by Leo Varadkar, it kind of put Simon Coveney in the manure business, as they say. Oh, yeah, definitely. But the thing about it, they said Michal Martin himself, in his own words, said he knew nothing about the, the appointment or the foreseeable appointment of Captain Zabone. Well, you know something, I, I've got, you've got to feel sorry for the Taoiseach in, in this instance because he was unnecessarily blindsided. Uh, and, right, so why has he not taken any action over it? Because he that can't. It's always apologies, apologies, apologies. There's only one way to stop the apologies and stop the mistakes. If it was you or I, we would be sacked from our jobs, right or wrong. Well, if it was Derek Leary or uh, uh, Barry Cowan, that already happened. Or Phil Hogan. Yeah, that's a different. That's on the Finnegale side of things. That was a that was a tough yeah. one, I think. Yeah, but they got rid of him for being there. They didn't get rid of Varadkar or anybody else that was up in uh, the Marion Gate. Plus, they adjusted the rules then that you could have anything up to two hundred outside after the fact of the fifty people attending. You weren't allowed to book multiple tables in the Marion at the time. But yet they were. Simon Coveney was because he went underhand in behind people's backs. But Simon Coveney wasn't at that party. No, I know that. But he went underhand and in behind people's backs to get it booked for Catherine's phone, didn't he? I don't, I, I'm not sure. I, I, you couldn't stand over that now. You'd, you'd have to leave that one open, the question. He, he was out of the country when that party happened. Where, 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 do, you, where do you see this going? Uh, Simon, Co- Simon Coveney is, is going to appear very early next week and what's going to be a very busy week for him with the United Nations meetings. He's going to appear, uh, I think, on Tuesday uh, and yes. try, try to put this matter to bed. Isn't it time now we moved on from the issue? No, it's not a melodrama as Michal Martin, the part-time Taoiseach, who's a disgrace to the people of Ireland, let alone Cork. It's not a melodrama. It's something that's very serious and the people of Ireland... The ordinary working man like myself is taking it very serious. But Michal Martin thinks it's a joke. Well, he it's, knows. It's, it's he because knows it's giving us an insight. It's, give, it's giving us an insight, an unsavoury insight, really, into what's really rotten at the core of the Irish body politic. And, and that is nepotism and a, a nod and a wink and we'll sort it out and then close wagons and then protect each other. And then when it's botched, it's every man for him or woman for himself. Or herself. No, then it's oil company all back if you come on mine. All right. I've got to leave it there, Derek, but you've you raised uh, very uh, interesting issues. Uh, and I wonder, and let's, let's watch with interest the, uh, you know, the, the body language and what's happening between uh, Mr. Varadkar and Mr. Coveney uh, in, the, in the next few days.
Yeah, we will watch with, with blatant interest. <laughs> Thanks, Derek. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye-bye. 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 AP Vaughan Recycling and Tower looking for uh, free food Friday. Lunch for Imelda and the gang in Cork Distribution in Little Island. We'd love a pizza. Olivia Cusson is in Drum Colliher. She's working from home alone uh, and would love some pizza. Still hoping to win some pizza to share. Please include me for free food Friday. Working for UCC from home in Ballancolig. Thanks to Red FM for keeping me going over the last 18 months, says Moira Murphy. And one more for now. Good morning, Mick. I'd like to nominate my son for pizza, please, as it's so well deserved. He's been my carer for six years, and I really can't thank him enough, especially the last 18 months. Words can't describe how thankful I am. He's really gone above and beyond, and being a full-time carer isn't easy. A pizza treat for the weekend would be brilliant, and I know he would share with the family and myself. Thank you, Mick, and have a lovely weekend. Regards, says Rosary. It's uh, coming up now on 14 minutes to 11. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And a very good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. Now, one industry and one tradition that was severely affected by the COVID pandemic, of course, was weddings. And that affects everybody from wedding supply, wedding... uh, Planners, the uh, dressmakers, dress sellers, all of the entertainment side, the hospitality side, it's all been affected. But Des McGahan joins me on line one to proudly declare that weddings are back. Good morning, Des. Uh, good morning, Mick. How are you? Very good. Now, you would be, if I may say so, in one of the upper end uh, venues for weddings, Ballinacurra House in Ballinacurra in Kinsale. Yeah, you could say that. I suppose the upper end, or what we tried to do over the last twenty years, is try and you know offer something very different. I mean, there's a, there's room in the industry for everybody, but I guess what we tried to visualise was the more you know personal, intimate, customised, private weddings. It's only just your own group of people, as opposed to you know weddings of three hundred people at a hotel where other people would be shared. So our kind of niche, if you like to call it, is that. We tried to offer something a little bit different. And I suppose if you could say that uh, it's at the upper end of the market, well, that was great. And I suppose uh, Kim Kardashian tried to book us, but uh, we weren't able to get her really? in. So yeah, maybe that was upper end. But, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not snobs. We're not trying to be something. We're just trying to offer something different. And our price points, when you compare, uh, let's say, to the Marion Hotel in Dublin, which is very topical at the minute, our prices are well below that. And people come to our place and they say, well, okay, that's the price of the room. But you're not getting a room. You're getting the whole estate, exclusive use, everything de- dedicated to you. So I suppose the, the privacy now in the new uh, post-COVID environment is becoming even more important because people are a little bit more scared uh, and whatever. So there's a, there's, there's a positive in that. But to answer your question, the upper end, well, yes. I mean, we've done our place out very nicely and it's a lovely place and can sail the Irish Riviera and all those sorts of things. But, uh, you know, I think we try to do something a little bit different. So that maybe answers that question. Okay. And uh, forgive me for saying, but any wedding venue worth its salt would not have many dates available now in the next two or three years, would they? No. This, there's so much information, misinformation. No, that's not right. The, the, the thing is this, there's been a whole reset in the wedding business. And I mean, the, the, the fact that we're opening again in October 21, a lot of people have held back and there's this misconception that there's no dates left. I mean, I'm getting wedding inquiries for 2025, 2024 and 2026. And I said to the clients, I said, listen, we can't even uh, figure out what sort of pricing we should be charging six months from now because we don't know where the industry is going to go. And the industry's had an absolute not just the wedding industry, but the events industry, the hospitality industry. We're probably, you know, and the airlines and everything attendant to that. 
it's been absolutely, that, that industry uh, has been absolutely trashed and battered more than most. And okay, people say you're opening in October, but you have to look at it this way. We've actually gone, you know, 18 months with very little business to try and keep us going. But we're opening in October, and October we're going into the winter months, and then there's not as much business in the winter months, as you say. So it's going to be nearly two years before the industry really kicks off again. So you're asking about, is there, there's a lot of people thinking there's no dates available. Well, we, we still have plenty of dates available. Good, good to haven't hear. Been booking. Yeah, people good. haven't been booking. But what is happening, that there, there is a different focus where, I guess, in the old days, you know, people had to do the big 300, plan it four or five years in advance, get families, get everybody involved. But with this new environment, you know, I think people are, they don't have to maybe sort of pay lip service to family and friends. They can say, make it smaller, uh, you know, shorter lead, more focus on family and friends and the important things in life that COVID has reminded us we've almost forgotten about. So there are Uh, plenty of dates available. I'm sure a lot of the other venues reflect the same same comments as well. All right, stay stay with me a moment. I want to bring in Liam Sheehan here. We spoke to Liam on last time I was doing this program. Liam is a magician. (laughs) He was Michael Jackson's personal uh, magician for three weeks. You're delighted weddings are on the way back, Liam? Yeah, absolutely, Mick. Um, Yeah, it seems to be coming back, maybe slowly, but they're definitely on the way back. I go on with that. You're very busy. I tried to book you during the week for a family function. You had a wedding already booked. You're busy. You did actually, but some, yeah, obviously I, I am, Mick, but, you know, I would have dates lined up uh, for weddings. A lot of these weddings would have been kind of like 20, 30 people, but they're now going to like 100 people and that, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, okay, for me, business isn't too bad at all because... You know, what I do is probably a little bit different. I don't have to bring a lot of equipment. Yeah, you're nimble. You can jump around different venues. You can fill your calendar in five or six different venues in a month. Very much so, yeah, very much so. But, uh, yeah, I certainly notice already um, an increase in, in people actually phoning and looking for dates and stuff like that, you know. And people that were nervous about their dates are a bit more confident now. Is that because we've essentially come through the worst of it and now the, you know, any openings now uh, were promised by the government were opening, are openings for good? Well, do you know, Mick, I saw on a headline in some paper last night, like, uh, COVID is finished, it's all over. I personally don't believe that it's all over at all. Because, you know, just the way my mind works is that, like, I'm looking at, at figures going up, cases going up, hospitalizations going up, the mm. vaccine effectiveness going down, and everything opening up. It, you know, I just wonder about the whole thing. To be honest with you, but maybe I'm very wrong, but, you know, um, I, I just can't see it becoming all clear in the next few months. I know. Anyone saying it's it's all over with COVID, it, it's like George Bush standing on the aircraft carrier saying mission accomplished. Um, Des, how, how many weddings would you have midweek or is there a price point where people can't afford weekends and they go midweek? Yeah, I get it. I think people are a different approach to things. And I think uh, Liam, who we worked with many, many times, and uh, I've never heard him described as being nimble before, but I'll accept that. And tonight uh, <laughs> does a great job. Um, but yeah, I mean, the point is, if the numbers are going down, well, you know, the people had a budget for 300 people. Well, you, you can spend more on less people and give them a better option. Keep it family friendly. Liam just mentioned there that maybe, you know, COVID isn't over. So there's more of a concern about the whole public aspect of that. So, so that's a good thing. Secondly, yes, uh, we, we price our, um, our uh, the weddings accordingly. You know, if you want to take something during the week, of course it's going to be cheaper. And if you 
you do it on a prime weekend in June, July and August, which are the three prime months of the year, you might say, of course, they're going to be more expensive. So if people are a bit like Liam Sheehan and a bit more nimble, absolutely, you'll get the venue you want, you'll get the, the, the quality you want. And we focus your whole thing uh, in terms of uh, a different expectation. I have to say, Mick, I don't, want, I don't know what uh, Liam thinks about this, but not only has the industry been battered, but um, there's an awful lot of frustration with the clients out there about the government, about COVID, Mary and get all the different things you might mention. And on my 20 years in the business, now this doesn't go across the board, in my 20 years in the business, um, I have never seen so much abuse to my staff. People are saying the hospitality industry, people are losing people hand over foot. Well, there's reasons for that. For the last 16, 18 months. Uh, it's a seasonal business at the best of time. People don't tip anymore compared to whenever somebody works in the industry overseas. They might get the, there's, there's the basic rate and then get tipped up. There's none of that happening. And because of what's happening, I mean, we've been sued five times in the last 18 months. And why were we sued? Because they blamed us not, we're not able to give them the wedding because of COVID. Now, of course, the court case never went anywhere. And we had. What do they expect? We- we had a wedding in three weeks ago. Now, these are professional business people. Um, we told them for three years that we couldn't deliver the wedding that they wanted because we weren't allowed to. And that was all fine. We sent them documents. and the got. In the middle of the wedding, the bride threw her arms up, screamed and ranted and said, but this is my wedding. I can have what we want. And we said, no, you can't because we're not allowed to. I know. I, then, I, uh, I, I, have, I have to leave it there, but I'm sure you are going to be catering for many more perfect weddings in the future, yeah. as will Liam. Uh, time is against me, but very very best of, of luck with Balnacurra House in Kinsale and delighted that weddings are back. Thank you both, gentlemen. Fantastic. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hi, it's Connor. Join me Sunday from 7 for Green on Red, bringing you the biggest, the best and newest names in Irish music. 104 to 106 Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show. And having done the Sunday Request show here at Red FM for a number of years, I know how a special request at just the right time can really tug at the heartstrings and make someone's very, very special day. And it's my pleasure now to read out a very, very special request as a favour for our senior producer, uh, Ima O'Hay, who's going to a wedding today, not just anyone. It's for one of her oldest and dearest friends, Suzanne, who's getting married today. And Ima would like me to play a request out of the 11 o'clock news and to play a very special song for them, which I'm going to do in a moment. And uh, she thinks I'll introduce it very well. I don't know why the song has been chosen, but I know it's very, very special. So today is that very special day for Balancholic and for two marvellous human beings, Suzanne Doherty and Shane O'Kelly, who are getting hitched today. And there's fierce excitement apparently all over town uh, this morning. So Suzanne, Ema wants to tell you, you're one in a million and we love you dearly. And Shane, we love you too. They're looking forward to a great day. Huge love coming from all directions, but especially from Ema, from Alberto and everyone that knows this fantastic couple and uh, all they're saying is let's get this party started so I don't know why this song has been chosen but I'm very happy to play it it's going to be some party so the very best of luck for everything in the future to that very special couple Suzanne Doherty and Shane O'Kelly getting hitched today it's the big one I'm told Suzanne worked in the Red FM newsroom as well. So thanks, Lana, for that one. It's a big, big day for all. Here's Lionel Richie for you. What 
That's Lionel Richie and Dancing on the Ceiling and some serious dancing on the ceiling expected at that gig of all gigs, the hitching of all hitching for Suzanne Doherty and Shane O'Kelly. The very best of luck for all of the future together. But most importantly, treasure every moment of this day and uh, create some memories with you and your friends and family. We've all been through a bit of a tough time. So we hope this is the start of great things for you both. So best of luck from all of us here at the Neil Prendival Show and at Cork's Red FM. Now back to the more mundane issues. Uh, pleasurable though they are, eating lovely Oak Fire Pizza from uh, Oak Fire Pizza in Clonakilty, Bandon, Princess Street, Galabi Street and Douglas Village. Not quite a wedding, but it's going to be really, really a treat for anyone who wins six large pizzas, garlic bread, potatoes, drinks, dips and desserts for uh, 15 people uh, with real wood fire pizza. Dave and Sandstore Warehouse in Ballancolic, the fabrication adept at uh, AMS Little Island. We could eat a horse, they say. But pizza will do nicely, says Paul Murphy. Uh, would love to win for my daughter's 16th birthday, herself and her friends. Uh, that's, uh, says Jerry McGrath. Free Food Friday, please. Serena Colin or Coughlin for my son's christening next weekend. It's been postponed twice, so this would be amazing. Anna Scanlon and, uh, is a Dublin Hill housewife. We'd share with my friend and her family. They're celebrating their son getting his leaving cert today. Georgia Regan and Euro Car Parts in Ducloyne Industrial Estate. Uh, Free Food Friday mentioned all the lads at NGC Construction working hard in Middleton. Laura O'Connor working from home in, Kilcur- in Kilcully for Cloudera since the first lockdown. Gemma O'Connor and all the girls at Cheeky Cherubs in Ballancolic looking after all the babies and toddlers there. My mam Carl O'Connor who returned to work at the new Dean Hotel this week and I'd like to win this prize for all the accommodation and cleaning staff of the Dean as they have a few busy months ahead. Rathpeak and Fireplaces, thank you so much. Uh, O'Callaghan Electrical, working in Airport Business Park, Gate, Childcare in Little Island, uh, Claudia in Healy's Bread Distribution in Mayfield, and uh, they're just pouring in here. I'll just get through a few more, and we'll get back to uh, matters leaving cert. Um, consider Ace working hard in Whitegate. Ace, uh, I'd love a treat. Damien Long is a personal trainer in Glanmire. Kira in Clonakilty, working from home. Celtic Interior, St. Patrick's Woolen Mills. Ken and Eve from Callan Kitchens and Bath. Uh, my daughter Tony Clare Garrett on her excellent leaving cert results yippee uh, Lisa and Irene would love it and uh, some girl, some pieces for the girls in Hennessy Heron Beauty in Pembroke Street and one more Hi Red FM can I nominate the lads out in the civic amenity site in Kinsale for the free food Fridays they're very hard working lads putting up all the teddy bears uh, thank you from Tracy Walsh uh, now of course it is uh, leaving cert time and we have many, many thousands of students who are uh, getting their results as we speak. So I want to uh, get to uh, a very special person, uh, Sean Brown, who got uh, 625 points in his leaving cert and joins me on line two. Morning, Sean. Hi, Mick. How are you? I'm uh, not as good as you, I'd say. This is the highest result <laughs> you can get. Uh, so you couldn't get one extra point, could you? No. No, I'm thrilled. Okay, how, how did this come about? Now, I know it's going to be going to be the standard answer, hard work. Uh, how did all this begin? Where did your application begin to achieve this summit? Well, I suppose um, I have to say it started from a very young age when I was when I was in the primary school. Even I always wanted to do my best, you know, no matter what it was, and uh, I always wanted to just keep my head down and do the work, you know, and and eventually it paid off. Thank God. So, mm-hmm. so you, you're going to study. Data science and analytics. Uh, the point, I am, yeah, in UCC. The points for that were 509 last year. In what sort of jobs would you apply those skills if you're successful? And I'm sure you will be in coming through your third level. Uh, well, you could go into uh, work as a statistician, so working with numbers really for any company. Like, hopefully, 
I'm look. I, I I hope to work for companies such as Apple someday. So that's my goal. Okay, so one of the big ones: Apple, Google, Microsoft. You could work anywhere. Okay. And in data analytics, do you know the way that uh, accountants often get uh, unfairly uh, chastised for dealing with history? Uh, you know, they're, they're also using historical statistics to predict the future in a way. Is that what you're going to be doing? Predicting the future based on current trends? Basically, yeah, in a nutshell. Okay. I, I won't ask you to elaborate because I wouldn't understand. Uh, so where, where does it go from here for you? Is it a big party night or are you a, a guy who doesn't do oh. that? Well, I'll be celebrating tonight, no doubt. So, uh, uh, all my friends and everyone I know have done really well. So, uh, from what I've heard, so we'll, there'll be big celebrations tonight. Yeah is is um, there is there a general easing then uh, of of results in that they're they're all up about two point six percent? I think you can do the analytics here. Uh, was that <laughs> was that because of certain pressures last year? Do you think on the government of maybe mishandling it slightly or, or letting people down? Expectations were dashed for many people last year uh, with very low predictive grades. Um, ha- has it been designed, do you think, to be gentler on people this year? And I'm not taking anything away from your achievement, by the way. Oh, no, of course. I understand what you're saying, yeah. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's been gentler, but I feel like they, with the accredited grades and everything, that things were... There was, a lot, there was a lot of pressure taken off, and because of that, I feel a lot of people were able to do better themselves because they didn't feel as much pressure. Wow. That's a great answer. You're very well spoken uh, and and very confident. That's 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 probably the answer I was looking for. Well done, well done to you. Um, were you? Can I ask you? Were you hoping or certain to get those six two five? Uh, I was hoping, a big hope, to be honest. Um, what would you've been happy? with? I, I wasn't expecting it, but uh, I'm thrilled at the moment. So, what would you've been happy with? Six hundred. Oh, I would have been happy with anything over five hundred. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, but uh, like uh, I knew my uh, like personally, I I was expecting five hundred, but I was so happy when I saw when I saw my results this morning. Wow, six hundred and twenty-five, top of the pile. Well done to you. And of course, it's all about celebrating the achievement and the rite of passage. Uh, you know, it's a coming of age, if you like. It's it's getting through the secondary school system, whatever your points. And while we always celebrate, if you like, the gold medal achievers, those who reach the pinnacle of the points, it's about everybody else as well, isn't it? Oh, of course, yeah. Like as I said, everyone I know, I put worked, worked like worked every day and night to make sure they got the best that they could. And like everyone I know is very, very proud of themselves, and I'm proud of my all my friends as well. So uh, they've all done their very best. Well said. I've got, I have a few friends in Apple. Give me a shout to see if there's anything I can do. Not that there might be, no, but uh, when when you're ready, we might be able to point your CV in the right direction. Thanks very much. All right, thanks a million. I I just I just like to thank uh, my school as well, Davis College. Uh, they 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 were an amazing school the whole way through my six years. And, That's a Gale um, school, isn't it? Make, pardon? Is that a Gale school? Uh, I went to the Gale College in Davis College. Um, so there's like the English side and the Irish side. I was in the Irish side. Okay. So you did everything through Irish. Uh, up, I, I did everything in Irish until third year and then I done uh, a, a few subjects then in English for my leaving cert. Okay, your auntie Anya is listening and she's so, so proud. I've already been on tour. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my spies tell me that. Thanks a million. Well done, Brilliant. Sean. Thanks e- very much, every thanks. best wish for Thank the future. You. Okay, now let's go to line one and to David Lorden who's the principal of Christian Brothers. Good morning, David. Good morning, Mick. How are you? Very good. Now, you, as a, a school principal, of course, uh, live and thrive and, and develop your reputation and your heritage in the marketplace and your attractiveness for new students from these high results. And you've done very well this year. 
is it has been a very exciting morning uh, in the College of Mecca, I have to say, as we, we uh, got news of, of our student success in Leaving Cert 21. Um, it's obviously been a, you know, a very challenging year for all students, so I think to have um, such great results this morning is um, a fitting reward for all the hard work and sacrifice and additional effort that the, 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 the students have had to um, uh, put in this year to, 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 to get those results. And uh, we have, we have, we have um, uh, fantastic results this morning. I suppose it's, it's look, we've, we've been very fortunate over the last number of years now to have um, you know, excellent results. Um, this year, uh, we have nine students on the maximum 625 stu- uh, points, um, 16 students over over 600. Um, one of our, our students, um, uh, Alex, Alex Lynch, is on um, uh, eight H1s and uh, three other students on seven H1s. So we're, uh, you know, absolutely uh, thrilled with them. But obviously, right across the board, look, we're, we're extremely proud just to echo your, 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 your um, uh, last uh, guest. Um, you know, we're, we're hugely proud of, of, of all the effort and the work that's gone in uh, by, uh, by, by students uh, over these last two years, which obviously, as I say, have been uh, particularly uh, challenging for them. Okay, and to what extent can you see these results coming down the track? And I know I'm asking probably unfairly because of the uh, the COVID pandemic and that, but generally, and maybe a comment on this year, can, can you gauge from your teachers or from your students' attitude or from the looking at the papers when you see them uh, after the exams exactly how your school is going to do? Well, obviously, we'd, we'd always have a very good sense of, of our, our student body and how they've been getting on. You know, I suppose if you, if you look at our, our academic tracking process, you, 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 you get an idea of, of how people are getting on, where they're hitting um, you know uh, uh, challenges, and I suppose that that's the that's the role of the school, really, isn't it? That to respond to the to their needs. I mean, every every year group and uh, every leaving cert group of students have to uh, face particular challenges. Um, the challenges that they this year's leaving cert had to face were a lot of them were sent around COVID, but they also had to to deal with all the all the the, the changes to to how the assessment was was uh, going to happen and so on. So it was just looking our job then as, as, a, as a staff was looking to meet those challenges and look at helping them to, to navigate it. So we would have a, a, a good sense of, of how boys were going to do but look, you, you're, you're, you're never really uh, comfortable um, uh, you know, until, un, until you know how everybody has done until the results come out. I suppose that is one of the, the occupational hazards of being involved in, in, in education that you go through the, 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 uh, ang- the anxious moments ahead of the Leaving Cert every year. Okay, now 16 students with over, 60, uh, with over 600 points would augur well uh, for the future. How important is this? I hope it's not too personal a question. Uh, how important is this, David Lorden, in Christian Brothers as principal when you're trying to attract fee-paying students? Well, it's, I, I suppose, look, you know, it, it, everything starts, begins and ends with the students. Um, and every student who comes in to us will have particular interests, particular strengths, and particular things that they're looking for um, from, from their school experience. So we don't start from a position of, of you know, um, uh, assuming that every every student uh, is, is going to be looking to attain 625 points. We start from a position of looking at, well, what are um, our, uh, our students looking for, where are their strengths, and we look to, to maximise that and, and, and uh, you know, make the most of, of um, bringing them on and, and encouraging to develop their talents and develop their interests and develop their strengths and play to their strengths. And so, uh, you know, uh, that, that would very much be the focus. But obviously, look, you know, when, when, when you, you have um, a very successful um, uh, set of outcomes in the Leaving Cert, 
you'd be, you know, you're obviously delighted for them. Mm-hmm. But you know, the the devil is in the details. It's the it's the individual achievements of all our students across the board, not just. It's not, not just, just academic, really. It's it's, it's no. kind of whole of life, isn't it? it? It's not exactly, and and I think we saw that very much in in um, uh, COVID in the last eighteen months now with the the restrictions and and the two lockdowns. That was a huge. Uh, part um, uh, or a challenge that students had to uh, deal with uh, was the, the 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 loss of the social, the loss of the extracurricular activities, and the type of things, if you like, that that are part and parcel of their their overall broad development as people. Um, and um, you know, if if everything is reduced down solely to the books and the academic, then you're missing out a huge amount of their of their development, and and you're mm-hmm. not doing your job fully anyway. Yeah, but clear clear evidence uh, given today, of course, from your. Uh from your school and from the staff and from the whole environment that you're creating, uh, that those who do want to flourish academically can be well looked after within the walls of Christian Brothers. Well, uh, yes, I mean, it's something that we're very proud of. And again, I suppose if I, I just take the opportunity just to thank uh, all our all our teachers. Uh, we, we're, we're blessed with, and as principal, I'm blessed with a very talented and exceptional teaching staff. And, um, you know, they have, have really gone the extra mile. And, you know, I've, I, I suppose I've... I've um, I've been very much aware of how much extra uh, effort and care, and um, you know, has uh, they've they've had to give in particular during the lockdown period when we moved to you know a remote timetable of of of, of uh, live classes. That obviously required adaptability and 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 teachers to um to to change their approach to how they how they taught and how they engage with the students. So you know, there, there, there's that element to it too, make that you know, um, the 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 staff are very much you know uh, play their part in. In, in helping the, the, the boys to get to where they are today, um, but as, as, as you say, you know we're, we're very we're very proud of the service that we that we do offer our students, and um, and uh, we're we're very confident. If you like, if you look back uh, along at, at uh, student achievement levels year on year, you know um, we're we're very confident that when somebody comes in, in, in and and joins the CBC community, that they'll be well looked after and well served. Okay, and you think you can achieve the same stellar results next year? Well, that'll be our goal. We, we, we have we have we have nine hundred boys in today, carrying on with their work. This is the first year that um, leaving cert results are issued on a normal school day, and we have all our students from first to sixth year uh, in carrying on as, as as normal. And and that's that's our goal. That's the, that's our core. Oh, that's unusual. I didn't teaching. know that. That's unusual. I thought they were all off today. It is no, 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 no. We, we, I mean, look, uh, all our, all our students have they they have their they're, they're looking our current sixth year. They're all looking to the to this time next year and their results. So look, we have a responsibility to to keep them. Um, uh, you know, to keep them uh, yeah. well well served as well. Okay, well done, David Lord and Principal Christian Brothers. You have nine students on uh, the maximum points, one student eight H ones, and sixteen students over six hundred points. Thanks for joining Thanks. us on Thanks. the program this morning. Thanks That's David much, Lorden. Now then, let's go to Kian, who is on line six as one of three identical triplets. Good morning, Kian. Uh, good morning. You're Kian Commerce. We also have Daniel Engineering and Adam Biological Sciences, and you're three triplets. And how did you all do? Um, so we all got over 600 points. Adam and I both got 601 and Daniel got the 625. 625 is the max, uh, but you all got over 600. We did, yeah. So your mum and dad must be very proud, yeah? Oh, overjoyed. It's um, pure excitement <laughs> this morning. Okay, so you're, you're going to do engineering in UCC. Uh, sorry, you're going to do commerce in UCC. Commerce, yeah. Uh, Daniel's going to do engineering and Adam's going to do biological sciences. You're going to Colossia on Spridnev in Bishopstown. And between the three of you, you brought home to the family over 1,800 points. Yeah. That's a remarkable achievement. Do the lads want to say a quick word? 
No. No, too shy? Uh, I'm trying to, but... That's no problem. Listen, well, well, well done. Identical triplets, getting almost identical marks. Um, is, is the um, is the six two five going to be slagging the two six zero ones now? Um, I I don't really think so. I think we're all just overjoyed to be over the six hundred because I don't. None of us really expected this. Yeah, because there, there's going to be there's going to be beefed up CAO and needs. I think points wise, um, and uh, I think you you. You're almost certain of getting your place now over the 600. Is your dad there with you, Philip? Uh, he is, yeah, he is. Uh, put him on to me there, yeah, will yeah. you? Yeah, I'm with Chad. You want to talk to you there? Hello? Hi, Philip. It's Mick Mulcahy. How, how, how are you feeling today? Bursting with pride? Uh, Mick, absolutely over the moon. Um, I'm so proud of them. Um, to be fair to them, uh, we didn't, myself and our mum, are both extremely proud. We didn't have to really push them over the last few years. I, I suppose, you know, they've always been fairly good at taking out the books and stuff like that and keeping their heads Yeah, down, but you have so. to take your own credit, Philip, because you, you and, yeah. and uh, your good wife have created the nurturing environment, the supportive environment, the warm home, you know, all of the stuff that people, I, some people take for granted, I guess. You obviously fostered all of that and gave them the confidence to maybe strike out on their own without without too much pushing. Yeah, and I suppose it also helped as well. They had a bit of a natural competition between themselves as well. If one boy took up the books, I was going to say that that must have helped yeah. a little bit. Oh, I can't leave him it do did. more than me. It did, but but to be fair, then as well, like uh, school, Clausus, Bernave, and Bishopstown, they've been fantastic over the years as well in in the support and in sort of the extra uh, curricular activities that they do as well with the students here. And um, you know, so I mean, they absolutely loved the school, and I think if 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 that, that, that's a lot of the battle too, you know. So uh, fair play to all the, the the staff and the teachers and uh, up in the school as well, you know. And are you going to be three times as worried now when they go out to celebrate? Uh, <laughs> or do they look out for each other? They do. I mean, they're they're quiet lads, but they, but you know, they, it, it, it's a bit strange. I mean, the three of them have been with each other uh, constantly since preschool. Uh, but now, you know, they're going to be going off in their different directions, doing different courses. So it's, it, it's going to be, you know, new adventures for them here on out, you know. At least they're all inside the same set of gates, really, all, all within UCC, hopefully if they get their places, yeah? That's that's it, yeah. So, I mean, like, they, their hope, like, well, they, you know, it's just they, they, the courses that that they want to do, you know, like, I mean, hopefully, no, like, they, they should have more than adequate points for that. And, you know, like, it, it, it doesn't matter what the points are for any courses, I think, just, just once students are happy with, with, with the course that they get, you know. All right, Philip. Well done. Well done to you and your wife, and well done to uh, Kian, to Daniel, and to Adam. I didn't even get your surname. O'Reilly. Uh, okay, the O'Reilly's Ultra Three Triplets bringing home over 600 points, and proud dad Philip there with him. Very best of luck to you guys. Thanks a million. Thanks very much. Thanks. Bye bye. All the best. Bye bye. So there we are, and uh, it's right for that uh, we celebrate those who achieve those very high marks. Uh, but also, of course, this is, as we mentioned, a day for everybody who succeeded in completing uh, their second le- level education and in doing under certain difficult conditions uh, their leaving cert. And I'm drawn to a lovely piece uh, by Billy O'Han uh, in response to an article. Now, an article was written by Fintan O'Toole, which I spotted, and I saw uh, on Wednesday before doing this program, I saw this uh, response, and I put it aside, uh, put it on uh, uh, my iPad, and said, I'm going to read that out on Friday when the uh, 
when the uh, results come out. And I'm, I'm conscious that Ryan Tuberty read it out yesterday. So he beat me to it. But I did have it ready on Wednesday. Uh, and um, Fintan O'Toole's article was, We Need Schools for Messers, Dreamers and Misfits. Uh, and that was a lovely article and well worth a read if you can come across it. So for those who were uh, waiting their leaving search results and who got them today, and maybe very happy or maybe a little disappointed, I want to read you the response piece uh, to Fintan O'Toole's article, We Need Schools for Messers, Dreamers and Misfits, uh, so well written by Billy O'Han-Lewin. Have a listen to this. Today I'm thinking about all the students who get their Leaving Cert results on Friday, not the ones who will be fated on the covers of the newspapers with their freakish bouquets of 7A1s. No, this morning I salute the Dreamers, the ones who ploughed their own furrow against the grain, the dancers and chancers, the schemers, the unsung heroes of the magical space between the classes, the bike shed kissers and smokers, the ones who cro- whose crooked branches could never be bent straight, the raconteurs of the school bus stop, the shy ones who will be beautifully late bloomers, the bullied ones, the ones who thought their leaking buckets were deficient, but it's only along a well-watered path that the most beautiful flowers grow. The boys and girls who held tight to their own songs, whistling their own melodies against the wind that blew hard for the last six years. The oddballs who rolled, collecting only the moss they wanted. The gay boys who've waited for years to walk out of those school gates for the last time and walk tall. The ones who were taunted and not taught. The ones whose songs were frozen and stultified by facts. There is no failure today. The thaw begins today. This is your spring, your release, your recovery, your time. Take flight. Learn to forget and dazzle yourself by being who you truly are. Let nobody measure or assess you. Look up into the cosmos of your beautiful self and follow that star that winks at you, showing you the way towards the place that school never revealed to you. Somewhere way beyond what you thought was possible. Somewhere so close, deeply lodged in you. Isn't that a beautiful piece? It's 25 minutes to 12. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. And I'm joined on the line by Cork singer Lyra, who's going to be a judge on a brand new entertainment show. Good morning, Lyra. Hello, how are you? I'm very good. You're sounding very bubbly. The show is uh, going to be called The Big Deal. It's going to be starting on Virgin Media One and Virgin Media Player. It's going to be happening this Saturday at 8 p.m. Now, you being uh, a judge there is one thing, uh, but you're in exalted company. So uh, they must think mm-hmm. very highly of you because you're going to be there with Deirdre O'Kane, great comedian, uh, JLS lead singer Aston Merigold. Uh, you're the breakout music star, of course, and the legendary duo Jedward, as well as the legendary global icon Boy George. I believe Boy George is coming on the Late Late Show tonight as well. Uh, so that must be very exciting for you. Oh, it was amazing. Like, when I got the call and I was told, like, who was going to be involved in it, I was like, they definitely got the wrong number. So <laughs> I was like, this is wicked. Like, you obviously deserve it. Being so iconic. Well, I was just like, got to bring that fashion to the show. <laughs> Tell me about the program and its aspirations and its ambitions. Well, it's kind of like it's a different type of talent show where like they're putting the power in the contestants' hands um, at every round they get offered money and they can either take the lump deal of money or take the chance to see if us judges have kind of like put them through to the next round. So it's really nice in that way that it's not all just up to us that like, you know, that contestant has the confidence in themselves so to say, you know what, actually, I prefer the money or 
I think I'm good enough to go through the next round. Um, so I'm really looking forward to the in in that way that it's uh, not us just saying no, no, yes, yes. Um, and also, it is a variety show, so there is a lot of different types of acts, which is really exciting to see. Yeah, because I think it is the Achilles' heel of the talent shows. You know the. Uh, yeah. X Factor and Britain's Got Talent and America's Got Talent and all that kind of thing is that there's so much heartache and pain for everybody but one person yeah I I couldn't bear it like you know when I heard the format I was like yeah this is definitely a bit of me because I couldn't be that Simon Cowell S person it's just not in my soul so I was like I, I can't do this I can't break people's hearts so yeah. it, it was nice to be able to you know maybe if, if it was somebody who I wasn't going to vote through to the next round that I could kind of be like you know this amount of money would really help you know get your home studio set up or you know get extra classes or blah blah. It w- it's nice to be able to kind of give them that indication that maybe it's it it would be beneficial for them to take the money rather than just standing there and having nothing. Like I felt so bad for them. Yeah, I, for- I, I forgot Vogue Williams is on that as well. She is, yeah, the gorgeous presenter Vogue. Yeah, I, I, she's very busy. I see you're working with Air Lingus now, uh, highlighting some of their roots as well. So, so the big deal is going to kick off with some various acts, okay? Uh, but the performers are in control, and you're going to have, and this is kind of unique now. There's uh, the acts auditioning include a flying trapeze couple, a singing family, a circus duo, and an illusionist who plays mind games with you. Mm-hmm. It was great being on the panel. It literally was like, I don't want the show to bloody end. And how, how far ahead do you record it? Um, we have finished it. Oh, so it's all done, okay. It's done, yeah. So you know so the you, uh, you know the eventual outcome then? I do, yeah, and I'm the worst person to know because I can't hold my water. <laughs> I'm like, oh, please don't let it pop out at any point in my life. I've okay. been very good so far. We better be careful. Uh, we... <laughs> We, if you say it, we can we can actually we can actually erase it here, even though it's live radio. We have a system for doing that. Okay. Okay. I want to play your song, Lara, as well as wishing you all the very best on the big deal. It's launching tomorrow evening. A star-studded lineup including Boy George. Check him out on the Late Late Show tonight. Vogue Williams, Jedward, JLS is Aston Merigold, Deirdre O'Kane, and Lyra. So uh, let's get Lyra on the air now. Tell us about New Day and introduce your own song for us. Uh, well, New Day is a song that I bought out around the time that. You know, we're all going through the pandemic, just hoping to bring a kind of a bit of light to people's hearts and lives and kind of inspire them to know that we're all in this together and that we will get out of it. And that's why I put this song out. And um, I love it. It has a bit of a African feel, which I love. So, yeah, it's a new day. I all right, like Lara. It. All the very best to you and best wishes with the programme. Hope it's very, very well received. Thanks a million. Thanks a million. Bye, love. Bye. I'm gonna take all my loneliness I'm gonna take all my pain What a powerful voice that is Lyra and New Day She's one of the judges on the upcoming programme Cancel all your Saturday night plans The big deal is landing on Virgin Media 1 From tomorrow night And thanks to Lyra for joining us on the programme People are interested in getting some free food Friday pizzas and uh, getting some mentions in Please consider me today My sister's birthday is next week We'll have a big uh, party to celebrate 
Oak Fire is the absolute best in Cork by a mile, says Chloe in Cork City. Uh, we'd love to win for all the staff at Al Tonin International Moving and Storage and Moving Supplies in Ovens. My son worked during the pandemic and got his Leaving Cert results today. He'll share with family and friends. Elite Valeting, mobile service, currently at Photo Resort, waxing like a fool. Uh, we have pizza, please, for the hardworking staff of Wilton Technology in Grange. My kids, nieces and nephew would love a pizza party on their first week back to school, says Grace. Northside Tires, Old Mallow Road, Trevor Toolhire, Victoria Road, uh, Emma in Carrigaline, uh, pizza for my son Dylan and his friends. That's from Linda Canovey. Uh, leaving cert results there as well. Broderick's Chemist in Barrack Street, Adventure Park at Cart World. Uh, Carey Tools and Albert Key love some pizza today. All of our hire sales and repair staff are starving. Uh, we'd love lunch at Adapt It in Black Rock. Uh, Trevor Toolhire, uh, that's another one from Trevor Toolhire. Uh, food Bar 1, Racing Bookies, Evergreen Road, Turners Cross. Uh, we have uh, Free Food Friday for John Gray Auto Services. Sandra and all the excellent, kind, caring staff at the Maguire Suite in St. Luke's Home. That's from Rena. Uh, healthcare staff from Heather House Nursing Unit in Grona Broher for our lovely residents. Kind regards from Katrina, Geraldine, Bear, Fiona, Michelle, Linda and Hannah. Cork Flower Studio in Douglas Street. A couple more. Paddy Murray Auctioneers in Bandon for Paddy, Damien, Phil and Shan- Sharon. And they're saying pretty please. And Trish and Douglas celebrating all the family finished vaccines next week. And they're all planning a big get together and would love that pizza. Okay, we're back in a moment to uh, Jamie O'Hara, Red FM senior reporter, on the Leaving Cert results. He's going to be at Colostia, Eamon Rich. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 1850 104 106. And it's coming up on 10 minutes to midday. Jamie O'Hara is uh, Red FM's news reporter and is at Clash to Eamon Reach in the city. About 60,000 people getting the results today. How are they all feeling there, Jamie? Hi, Mick. How are things? Great. They're all feeling pretty relieved, I would say. They're all pretty happy. A lot of smiley faces. um, A lot of people meeting others for the first time in a couple of weeks and their teachers and um, you yeah, know it seems to be seems to be a great day Colossia in Reach, formerly Deer Park in Ballyfahan they've had uh, several results over 500 points though Aaron Walsh the principal was telling me he was very happy with the uh, with the results today and I got to meet some of the students as well I met Scott O'Sullivan from Toker Aaron Deneen from Ballyfahan Scott Roachmore from Douglas and Tiernan from Deermont and they're all going doing a different uh, different things with their lives um, Scott wants to do psychology in UCC eventually. Aaron wants to do woodwork and become a tech craft teacher. Um, Scott Moore Roach and um, he wants to do film studies. And um, it's it's just great. It's great to see it. It brings me back to my own getting my own leaving cert results. Exactly. Uh, and as much as it's about everybody today, not just the big big high achievers academically, it's uh, of course all about celebrating as well tonight and doing it responsibly. Absolutely. They've had two tough years, I think. Um, thousands of students have had two tough years and these leaving certs have had both years that were COVID years and there was uncertainty when, you know, they left school in March when the pandemic broke out and then they were back again for a time and then they were gone. And um, I guess you miss the social aspect of it as well. Now, the thing about kids and young adults is they're very adaptable and they, they will bounce back. So I think there's no real fear for this. For this, um, for this group, but they were very, very delighted to uh, to be seeing everyone today. And yes, there was talk of celebrations um, later this evening. I think town's going to be busy, so um, I think social distancing. They, actually, some of the students told me that actually social distancing will be important this evening. So okay, to see them thinking things like that. Well, happy to see them taking a mature attitude to that. And Principal Aaron Wolf, if I remember correctly, last year was very happy with the results last year too. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. They seem to be doing um, quite well at uh, Cloche in Reach. And uh, there's actually some celebrations going on there this afternoon. I was offered a breakfast roll. So there's a breakfast roll breakfast going on for all the students <laughs> there. So it's just great to see because thousands of students will be picking up their exam results today um, on, their, on their computers. It'll all be virtual because due to COVID. Whereas, you know, smaller groups, they were able to go in today. This six-year class was quite small. There was 30 leaving starts and I think 12 leaving start applied students. So quite a small six-year group. And um, thankfully, they were able to, to meet up today and uh, get their results in, in person. Brilliant stuff, Jamie. We'll pass on our regards to everybody. I hope they enjoy the celebrations tonight. I hope they do it in small, responsible numbers. Uh, I think that might be difficult considering the achievement that they've all just, uh, uh, you know, they've just finally got into their hands that bit of paper that means so much. But in the end, pop could possibly mean so little in the greater scheme of life. But well done to one and all. Results high and low. You've uh, come through second uh, level education and you deserve all of the uh, good things that the future has to bring. Thanks, Jamie. Take care, Mick. Cheers. That's Jamie O'Hara, Red FM News reporting. I want to get to one more event before we uh, pack it up for the weekend, and that is uh, to a uh, soul in the city, yeah, because this has the makings of being a big, big, and even bigger event as the years go on. Sinead Dunphy, good morning. Hi, Mick. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Very good. Every event starts somewhere. You know, the folk festival started somewhere, uh, the jazz festival started somewhere, and I think this has uh, the legs to be a huge, huge event. Tell us about well, Soul in the I City, said, which we're proud to sponsor. I, I, Oh, yeah, and I'm thrilled with the sponsorship. Red FM, you've been saviours this year to us, which is very much appreciated. As of all our sponsors, been like particularly Benny McCabe and Heineken and Murphy's. You know, without them, surprisingly, we don't get that much public funding because we haven't proved ourselves yet. I've only taken sure. it over in the last um, uh, year and a half, and obviously a pandemic hit. Um, so we've been really lucky with our private sponsors and donors and uh, people like yourselves giving us that support that we just can't really afford, really. Um, OK, we, we live in stringent times, can we say, you know, as regards festivals, looking at Electric Picnic being cancelled, all of that thing. What kind of festival can you put on? What can people come and enjoy and how can they do it? Well, Mick, my main thing is making sure that this festival is enjoyed and accessible to everybody in Cork. So tonight, we have a very low number of capacity in terms of the Triscoll for the, our two headline concerts, which is on tonight with Leisha Leahy Band and on Sunday night with Karen Underwood Band. Um, they're going to be two stellar gigs. Now, I have a bit of a surprise, but we are recording them. So if you haven't been able to get a ticket, we're going to be releasing tickets or a virtual uh, version of it next week, even though I'd say everyone's going to be sick of the virtual. But it would be uh, well worth watching. Um, outside of that, what we're looking at is all day tomorrow, down on the Marina Market, we have gigs from one o'clock in the day uh, till late. And the guys down at the at the market, they're another fantastic venue partner. And all their traders are going to have some soul food taste going on as well. And that actually repeats again on Sunday down in the Marina Market with a whole other group of bands. Wow. And then on Sunday, we also have a block party. And that is happening on Corn Market Street. And we have the big, massive stage. And I believe George was on yesterday morning um, on the show with yes. me. And uh, George, they're closing out the gig. There'll be a DJ set just after them. But uh, they're closing out the gig. And I'm just delighted. I'm, I'm weak for George Patterson. He's just... Uh, he's uh, a, what, what, two brilliant hero. venues there now. I mean, the, the Cole K and the... I said the last time I was doing this programme, if you haven't been to the Marina Market, go down. And what better time than when Soul in the City is on on Saturday and Sunday? So exactly. I mean, it's going to be music, it's going to be food, it's going to be everything. And it's such a family-friendly space. 
Um, and more importantly, even though it's an outdoor space, it's actually sheltered. So it's perfect in terms of our adverse weather or our um, psychotic weather that can be. Uh, so we're, we're well prepared. And I suppose what we're delighted with is City Council have given us the, their big stage for the block party on Sunday. And we have one other surprise, which is we're going to be doing a real life soul train to the city uh, on Sunday before our block party. So keep an eye out. We'll wow. be coming down the Curtain Street, through the streets and just animating Cork. All right. For, for me in particular, soul of the city, it might be small now. But well, it will be big. Aims is going to be. It's going to be huge. Sinead, I've got to leave it there, but very best of luck for Sun on the City over the weekend. Thanks so much. Thanks a million. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, our Free Food Friday is going to the staff, doctors, nurses, dinner ladies, cleaning staff, porters in the ophthalmology ward in the South Infirmary who looked after uh, my husband last week with so much care. Uh, care. They made him feel more at home. They were fantastic. And they, uh, they're getting our free food Friday. They deserve it. That came in from Rachel. Uh, so well done. We have your Oak Fire Pizza. Uh, it is the envy uh, of all competitions here in Red FM. Everybody wants to win the Oak Fire Pizza. So well done. They are in Bandon, Clonakilty, Princess Street, Galabi Street and Douglas Village. And we're going to get uh, to you six large pizzas, garlic bread. Uh, potatoes, drinks, dips and desserts for 15 people. Uh, my thanks to the show's producers. Uh, that's Brenda Dennehy and uh, Seamus Wheelahan. And uh, I'll be back to you on Monday morning to talk to you on the Neil Prendival Show after news at nine. But news at 12 with Lana O'Connor is on the way. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.